In a world filled with sharks, bears, and killer bees, one man is brave enough to stay indoors to bring you the latest in gaming, movie, and pop culture news. That man is Tom Awesome, and this is the Outside is Overrated podcast. Hello and welcome to Outside is Overrated, a podcast about gaming and nerd pop culture. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm your host, Tom Sulachik, and we've got a great show for you. We're breaking down Firefly. We watched the beloved cult classic TV show as well as the follow-up movie Serenity, and we played the board game Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck-building game. Joining me for the discussion today are Dr. C. Casey Aleem. Hey, what's going on, everybody? And the showstopper, the resident sailor, Mrs. OIO, Phoenix Sidlachik. Hello. Welcome back to the show, guys. Casey, you do the Game Pass Forever segment with me in the Hobby Box every single month, but you haven't been on the main show since 90s video game movies last December. I put this particular show on the schedule largely just to troll you. Are we still friends or what? Uh, nope. Screw you. I'm going home. <laughs> All right. Oh, I just kicked the cat. That was surprising. <laughs> uh, honestly, though, like, um, I'm, I hate to admit it, but I'm sort of glad you did this because I never would have watched Firefly. Um, one, just to spite you, but two, um, yeah, that's why I'm never gonna watch Blade never... Runner just to spite you for <laughs> forever. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was. We'll obviously discuss it in detail, but this show surprised me. It was. It was. It was good. Good stuff. Feeney, Sherlock Holmes is one of your all-time favorite characters. We even did an episode on The Detective last year. Last night, we went to see the Sherlock exhibit at the Minnesota Historical Society. How was the exhibit and the rare Sidlachik family parental date night? Uh, very rare <laughs> to have a babysitter for us, but um, actually it was very interesting. You get there and they stop you and they're like, wait. You gotta have this little notebook, and she goes through the whole spiel, but it's a little case notebook for you to take with you through this journey of the exhibit. And the first part is all about the historical pieces that they have of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And it Um, turns out the University of Minnesota has like the largest Conan Doyle or Sherlock Holmes collection in the world. Yeah, so you get to see actual manuscripts, um, actual letters he's written, first editions, everything. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had remarkable penmanship. He did. (laughs) And then uh, you move on into the next section uh, talking, you get to see city maps and that was kind of interesting because they colorized them, wealthy, well-to-do. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was a like a poverty city map like they had six different classifications of wealth and like uh uh sociologists actually like mapped out the entire city of london yeah it was interesting the way they terminized um how they uh reference the types of people and the black were the criminals well black black lines lines, you didn't write black people are criminals (laughs) no no it's just that color that they use to indicate of that area of the city they use the black uh, pen to outline that so but um but they had little stamp areas for you to stamp um they showed the different notebook. technology of like the eight late 1800s early 1900s yeah morse code yeah it was uh morse code and it was like uh b- early ballistics work and yeah. like the newspaper and i don't know six different little stations and each one had a little stamp for your book and then the next part is it was pretty cool it was the crime scene they had clues all over and uh, they had you go through different scenarios they had you drag um 
sort of a half body with shoes to make drag marks to see if they match the crime scene and they want you to try to see if you can solve the, the mystery and then the last part is about the Sherlock in media so you get to see a lot of stuff they had props from actual props from the movie um, with Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes there and uh, some BBC props but it was very fascinating to walk through and seeing all the stuff they have accumulated. So. Yeah, it was a cool event at the Minnesota Historical Society. Yes. Before we jump into our main show, we want to thank our sponsor, Premier Health. Check out their website at premierhealthmn.com. That's premierhealthmn.com. If you enjoy our content, please support the show at patreon.com slash OIO. That's patreon.com slash OIO. Pledges start at just $2 a month, and it helps pay for all of the stuff we consume for the show, as well as advertising, website hosting, equipment. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that goes into a podcast. We don't just flip on the computer and go nuts. If you enjoy us individually, you can follow us all on social. Email the show at overratedpod at gmail.com. That's overratedpod at gmail.com. Follow Casey at Dr. Underscore Casey on Twitter. Follow me at ThompsonLogicOAO on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, where I never post anything ever. And follow Feeny at PhoenixSidLogicOIO on Instagram. You can also follow the show at Facebook.com slash Outside is Overrated. We start with Firefly, the TV show in 2002. Joss Whedon's gritty sci-fi western Firefly debuted on Fox. That felt like such an awkward way to say that sentence. There's a lot of Fs in that one. Yeah, and I'm articulating so gall rom well. <laughs> Fresh off of twin hits Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, the future looked bright for Firefly. Then 14 episodes or less than one full season later, the show crashed and burned, never to see the light of television again. Phoenix, you were the one who originally turned me on to Firefly. What drew you to this show, and when did you first get into it? Uh, that's a long answer. Um, uh, both my brother and sister were uh, totally into Firefly. They kept trying to push me into watching the whole thing and watching and we know from personal it. history that you love being told what to do and what to watch <laughs> yes. and what to read and what to consume. Yes. No. Yeah. My stubborn streak. But um, I watched it. I enjoyed aspects of it. And it was kind of hard for me to get into because the problem was I saw Nathan Fillion in the Buffy as a villain. And he creeped me out so bad in that those episodes he was in. And... I had a hard time watching him in the show, viewing him as a good guy. So it, it took some time, but I've apparently watched... it took twenty one years. This show is old <laughs> enough to drink now, honey. Well, I've watched it now. I don't know, maybe about eight times now, and uh, eight times. Yeah. Wow. Eight <laughs> times. I. There is not a piece of media on this earth that I've consumed eight times. Well, it's well, maybe basketball. Yeah, basketball, I probably watched eight times. Basketball versus Firefly. Yeah, no, I've seen it twice. April's tried to show me. Owen's had me watch it a few times. And then my parents, they love the show. Um, my mom absolutely loves the show. So they've had it on. So I've been in and out a lot. So, But um, it's grown on me over time. And I, I enjoy it's the, um, the show as far as the... I know we'll get into it, but just the... Cowboys in Space, it sort of felt like a cowboy bebop in ways, and I love that show, and so it's just a quirky show, and I love Josh Whedon's writing. He has a humor. He can write lines that are just hilarious, and it's just... Okay, right now you're Batgirl. You are Batgirl, <laughs> and the uh, the Riddler, he's got... 
he's got a nefarious trap set up. It's two cages suspended over lava, and you're only going to be able to save one of these. And one cage is Firefly, and the other cage is Spike and the crew of Cowboy Bebop. Who are you saving before they plummet into lava and are destroyed for all time, forever? Cowboy Bebop, hands down. Without even hesitation. Yeah, (laughs) hesitation. Well, it was the Netflix Cowboy Bebop, so now how do you feel oh. about it, honey? <laughs> Firefly, hands down. <laughs> Casey, are you a big uh, Joss Whedon fan? Like, I never watched An- Angel. I've never seen an episode of Buffy. This is, like, the earliest Joss Whedon thing that I've seen, and I really enjoy it. Was he on your radar at all at this point of your life? No. Um, I yeah, never watched Buffy, never watched Angel. Did he direct which movie did he just was he one of uh, the dc movies like what did he direct marvel avengers marvel avengers okay. yeah so prior to this that was the only hopefully i got my judgy tone down <laughs> just right <laughs> well, that it, i have consumed well yeah i mean he's done mostly tv but he's written and he's always was a um he was a script fixer they would send him scripts to fix and i know he worked on toy story he's worked on a lot of scripts to fix them there was a big dc property that he fixed though was it justice league uh they hired him to do you know to come in and direct those little pieces but um i can't think of a script if he actually fixed something but um i'm just thinking older films i he worked on some heavy films, and I wish I could remember the names of them that he came in and helped fix them up. So, but um. and I could have researched more and had all that <laughs> at my fingertips, but we're just going to grip it and rip it here. <laughs> Doomed by executive meddling and poor marketing, Firefly is destined to live on sh- lists of shows canceled too soon. Casey, you had never seen the show before. How well did it hold up 21 years after its original air date? Surprisingly well. Uh, compared to some of today's shows, the visual effects are you know, obviously lacking a little bit. Uh, but however, when you think about a show that's 20 years old, um, I think it was actually really good. Like the visual effects and and everything were, were above my expectations to be honest with you. Um, and even if you take away the 20, 20 year old, uh, special effects, the screenplay and the acting and everything in this like equally as surprising and terrific. I totally agree. I mean, to me, I know there's the special effects. People love having special effects with sci-fi, but um, it holds up so well because, one, I think they built that set completely of Serenity, so all those camera shots of them walking, it really gives a feel for the ship, which I think holds it together even 20 years, 21 years from when it was released. But I think it all comes down to the acting and the nuance of each character and the character themselves and the development of the characters, I think still carries the show on to today as a cult classic. So, And here's how I want to break the show down. We're going to start by talking about what stands out going back to Firefly now. We're each going to talk about our favorite character in an honorable mention. We're going to talk about our favorite episodes, and then we'll have a couple of thoughts about what could have been and just what we'd ask the Fox executives if we had them in a room. Casey, first thing that stands out to you with Firefly. Well, because I was just a complete noob to this show, like I didn't research anything beforehand. I had no idea what it was. So I put it in the, uh, or not put it in the DVD. That was the movie, but I went on Hulu, hit play and was just like, what in the world am I watching? Because so- you're like the stark contrast between 
space and then they land and there's cowboys and i'm like what in the world did tom get me into (laughs) so you knew you're doing this show like you had months of advanced warning and you didn't like care to like look it up at all like he went in total dark out mode for firefly exactly yes all right the way i don't know like that's a good way to go in though yeah i think for some things for sure like i you You had a blank slate for it for certain yeah there's there's other things where I'm, i'm very like anal about researching and getting into beforehand and like you know certain board games and stuff we're going to play something i'll try to like learn how to break it yeah uh, how, yeah like some you know strategy or just how to play whatever beforehand but this yeah it was i i think it was a good way to go in completely completely dark on it and i was like wow like <laughs> well, spaceships and horses like yep. let's let's go yep. <laughs> and feeny you're in the other end of the spectrum having watched this show supposedly seven full times before we uh recorded this episode or before we went back to it for to prep for this episode what stands out to you as a old firefly farmhand well i guess each time i watch it i get something new from it so i guess that's one thing i enjoy about the show is the multi-layers it doesn't get old to you in ways it's not like oh okay let's fast forward this i know you know but i Watching it again allowed me to relax and really watch the character development, look at the nuances of their acting and, you know, because sometimes when you watch it firsthand, you're just being bombarded with everything. When you rewatch something, you can actually step back and look at the actor's acting ability and the way they are from if someone's talking, how they're reacting to that. So. It's fascinating that you brought that up because that was a very uh, strong takeaway that I had watching it this time through because I'd watched it with you once before years ago and I liked it. It mm-hmm. was fine, but like even the opening episode, there are nine main characters on the show and like Joss Whedon uh, said in one of the extras that he wanted a show, his shows before were Buffy and Angel, all centered on one titular character. He wanted a show that would survive if something happened to one of the characters so there's nine main characters and i enjoyed especially the first episode so much more going back to it having some level of familiarity with the characters like oh yeah i love kaylee oh yeah here she is and like just for me going back to it was much more enjoyable than the first time through well i'm glad it was um but um the first episode is kind of interesting because like casey says you don't know what to expect and it's just and the problem was that wasn't the first episode that aired on tv so it's just that was one of the major issues like there's a bunch of articles about why firefly failed and why it bombed and one of the like four main points that always comes up is that the show aired out of order so there was a pilot that was a two-hour episode called entitled serenity they didn't air that until the end of the first season what they aired instead was a crazy well not a it was train job and then bushwhacked and then our mrs reynolds which was like the second third and eighth episodes aired as the first second and third casey i know you like the character development in the show how was how do you imagine that onboarding would have been if you hadn't had the pilot to set the stage for you and introduce everyone and explain why they're all on the ship together i mean it would have been completely disjointed and out of whack which i can imagine why people did not catch on to it right away and the way that it's written is is great because you get little bits and pieces as these episodes go on into each character and there's different episodes that are kind of devoted solely to certain characters so you you get this this building this layered onion of of tidbits on each character yeah. and and by the end of it you have a really good understanding of where everybody's coming from 
where their morals are. Like it's it's pretty awesome in in a show. And yeah. I mean, you get to see that with everybody except for book which <laughs> like, yeah. what the hell's going on with book god dang it and i don't let's put ourselves back in 2002 for a minute is that just the way the tv operated was like firefly just manhandled and mangled by the executives or was like every show dealt with like this and it just fans of firefly needed something to latch on to for why it was canceled i'm i'm an idiot i don't know how tv works but this show specifically Every episode builds on yes. each other. It's almost like Arrested Development, another Fox show that was canceled too soon, um, and how every episode builds on something that happens before. So, like, just the thought of airing them out of sequence sounds like a very, very bad idea. Well, I, I know I read online, and um, that's, and I know we watched that little tidbit with um, Joss Whedon, but I read online that Fox kept coming, hounding Joss Whedon to rewrite, rewrite, rewrite. Um, I think less sex, more guns, just he, they kept hounding him and making him make changes. And I guess maybe they felt like they knew better than Joss Whedon what would, you know, roll with the audience, you know, but who knows? I mean, it's just, yeah. And this is before streaming. This is before like binge watching and like yeah. everything's episodic. You can only watch it on TV. There's no TV and DVD really at this point. So just very curious how they took everything and kind of jumbled it up. Yeah, I think it, had it been released today, like on a streaming platform, the show would have been just, mm-hmm. a, I think, a massive hit. Especially yeah. if it was released like now with the technology and everything, with, so you could have increased, you know, better CGI and everything to go with it. Um, yeah, and if you, it was they on could HBO. actually swear instead of speaking in Chinese every single time they swore, which was like completely bizarre. Also, the first time, I'm like, what the heck? every yeah. once in a while they would just like. I thought it was cool. It hinted that like Chinese culture like dominated the future, and that if you guys can think back um, at that time period, um, China was becoming a huge powerhouse at that time. So a lot of people thought our second language was going to be Chinese, not Spanish, because China was becoming a huge powerhouse at that time. And but you only swear in Spanish. Yeah, you only swear <laughs> in Chinese. <laughs> Everything yeah. else is English. English you yeah. only swear in Chinese. So. <laughs> uh, Fini, is there anything else that stands out to you before we jump into our favorite characters? Um, no, I think we've touched on it a lot, just how episodic it was, like Casey was talking about, how it builds on top of each other, you know, and I mean, for you to watch it through a second time, I mean, you're saying you really enjoyed it, and... There was a stretch in the middle where every episode I was saying, oh, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it stopped once we actually hit my favorite. Yep. Nine main characters in the show. Uh, most of them are the good guys. There's one good guy who's not such a good guy. And Casey, that was the character that you were drawn to, Jane. Yeah, I, I love Jane. Jane, the hero of Canton. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it's easy to label Jane as greedy stupid and don't get me wrong he he is like he, he is definitely that but i think he's just he's so much more than that i think a lot of his greed comes from from being poor all of his life and wanting to provide for his family back home so there's there's that aspect of it and then he's just like by the end you can see like despite all of his shortcomings like he's just so loyal to the crew and, and especially to mal like um that, that just you can see that by like this last episodes where things are going wrong and Mel like just points to him. Jay knows exactly what to do. He goes back to, to the crew and like, make sure they're all safe and, and buckled up, you know, cause they're going to, 
you know, crack, like it's, it's, it just all becomes apparent. And, and like the show, like, I just think Jane is, is just a super layered character. Um, you know, and obviously he had problems with, with River and Simon and, and, mm-hmm. and he knew, he just, I think he knows that they're a danger to the crew. Like that's mm-hmm. the main thing for him. Like he can't get over like these people could wreck everything that we have right now. Like they're, they're on my ship. They're a danger. And when he saw the, the chance to get rid of them, he, he took it. Mm-hmm. And for that, he almost gets blown out the airlock, which he, you could, there's a know, powerful scene. It was it an is. extremely powerful scene. <laughs> like you could see like how much he regretted that decision. And, you know, when he's like, don't tell him what I did. Don't tell him what I did. Like, I don't, it's hard to say if that was just him saying that because he didn't actually want them to know that or because he just didn't want. He didn't want his reputation to be tarnished. He wanted whatever opinion the crew had of him to remain that opinion and not to think that he was a heel. Yeah, I, I think I think there's that, but I think it, it there's also, I don't know, I think there's more to it than that too. I think if you, you dig deeper, I think there is more layers to it than just him not wanting the crew to know that he's a bad guy. They know that he's a bad guy. Like look at everything else that he did prior to that. I think it's also just, he didn't want, I don't know. It's hard to describe, but like he just, I think there's just way more to him than, than the, than the, that bad guy, than that, than that heel character that, that he, that he is. He's, well, I think it's interesting. People seem to be really drawn to Jane. Like, a lot of people, he's got all the funny, he's got the funniest lines in the yeah, show. He does. I'll the be in my bunk. Show for sure. yeah. He's got the, the best lines in the show, and people are just drawn to him. He's the number three in command on the ship. He's essentially the hired muscle or the hired gun. Like, he's the one who deals with the problems. But, like, I I like to have him there because it's nice to have someone to dislike consistently from show to show. Like, the other villains will come and go. There's the Hands of Blue dudes. They're in an episode. There's the Bounty Hunter. There's Saffron. Uh, not many of the other, like, villainous-type characters or bad guys really recur all that much, but Jane's always there, always doing something kind of shady. Vini, your thoughts on Jane. Where does he rank amongst the crew for you? I mean, I've... It's hard for me to say it. It's like, again, he is kind of... Because he has that sort of weasel... Sort of a weasel to him in ways, it's kind of hard to like him, but you know he brings a lot to the crew, and so... I mean, again, Mal sends him out to take a walk, and he can take care of the the snipers and be quiet about it. He's very good at his job, and he knows what he's doing. But yeah, they do create the scenes where it's hard to like him, you know? So it's like, it's a love-hate relationship for me with him. And that's why I think it's so clever about the writing, because there is a lot of onion layers to every character, and I'm sure Jane has a lot, and... This show was supposed to go for seven years. That's what Josh Whedon had planned was seven years. And it's like, it'd be interesting to see what he would have done with Jane's character for that seven years. You know? Well, to be fair, it would have been fun to see what he did with every character. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, but yeah, right now talking about Jane is just, if there's a lot of onion layers to peel back, it would have been interesting to see what you know more is to jane than we have seen already so and casey i'm going to put another scene in front of you for your feedback there's a pivotal scene later in the series uh simon found out that jane betrayed them and sold them out to the alliance and basically was trying to collect the bounty on their heads and then they have an intense scene in the med bay where simon was working on jane what are your thoughts on that scene and how jane 
or how Simon approached that interaction with Jane, the confrontation that you hand us, handed us into the feds. I mean, Simon played the only card that he knew that he could hold above Jane in that aspect where he knows that he couldn't take Jane and fight. He knows that Jane would... Well, Jane was paralyzed at that moment. Like, he could have, like, literally killed him right there. Exactly. And he... But he told him, like, as long as you're in here, you're my patient. But if you try to double-cross us again, my help is no longer (laughs) available to you, basically. So... He's like, I'm all you have. You're you're our warrior. You're our you're our you know our bad guy basically. But yeah. if you if you get hurt again and you try to double cross us again, you're dead. Like I'll save you as long as you continue to behave basically. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that's why. Like I said that's really the only card that he have to to play above Jane and. and we're going to talk about it later, but I I think there would have been something really funny that it, if the show would have kept going on, that, that would have been interesting to see. Um, I think it would have been really interesting. I'll, I'll drop it now. Like a love triangle between <laughs> Jane and Simon and Kaylee. Like and those, been, that, yeah. those three like together. Because I think like there is like maybe something a little bit between Kaylee and Jane, but there's definitely a lot no, more. No, there's not. Oh, there, there could have been. There could have been. No, there's not. That love triangle would have been would have been funny. She had big old googly eyes for Simon. Phoenix, the Tam siblings were the characters that you wanted to focus on for this. There is Simon, who in the first episode books passage on Serenity to Hall Cargo somewhere. Like, he basically just books a fare on this ship to try to get somewhere. And you find out his cargo is rather unusual. Yes, you do. Um, and that's a great scene that is just Mal kicking it off and goes, huh. But, you know, you find out that he's transporting his sister. And um, so you get to meet the siblings, uh, Simon and River. And-, and Simon's a doctor. He's a very successful surgeon from a rich family. His sister is smarter than him in every single way. And the government was just experimenting on her, basically. Yeah, she got a brochure about this uh, school and it just knocked all the boxes for her she had to go to the school and so she begged her parents and she went and and then her brother kept getting these letters and she kept talking about things that never happened or you know and so he finally figured out it's a code and he figured out that they're hurting them and this the the academy is hurting the people in the school with river and so I think he's a very fascinating character because he is a man who comes from wealth and privilege and privilege. He is the top sur- uh, trauma surgeon in his ward. He has everything laid out for him and he could have turned a blind eye or just tried a little bit, but just, you know, gave up after his father bailed him out of jail, but he kept at it. And I think that shows a strength of character that's in Simon. He hides behind his... Is that the man inside Simon? (laughs) He hides behind manners and politeness because that's the only thing he has to protect him. It's a mask, I would say. Kind of his mask to deal with the outside world that he doesn't understand is used, you know, the politeness and everything. And I know they don't quite understand his way of, especially Kaylee, because... You know, they're out in the black and, you know, manners don't make, you know, that much difference out there. So, but he is a very 
very intellectual, very smart. I mean, both of those kids are very smart. And he is um, able to create that heist in Ariel, you know, so you know he's a genius. And I think there's a lot more to that character that still had to be, you know, developed in the show. And I think it just, he... There are nine main characters in the show. Uh, Simon was part of the crew. Do you think... Do you think that Simon and Mal were the true stars of the show? It seemed like a lot of the things focused on either either one of them. Like, they were the two... No, I, to me, probably Mal and the crew. You know, it's Mal and crew, to me, I think, are the two main characters. But I think Simon and River were the biggest thorn in the side of Mal. You know, you know which way is he going to lean? So I think that's why... They have the biggest conflict with Mel, so I think that's why there's a lot of those scenes, because that's going to be the constant conflict throughout three episodes, so there's always going to be some scene with them together. So. Well, you mentioned the captain, Mel. Mel was my favorite character, and the show largely revolves around him. He owns the Serenity. He put together the crew. Uh, in the first episode, he decides to take Simon on as a crew member and ultimately take his sister. You see that he and his first mate, Zoe, fought in a war against the Alliance. They are on the losing side, and they wind up being these like outlaws, essentially. They're just trying to scrape by on the edge of society what i thought was so interesting about mal was he is essentially a code of honor guy like he's got a code of honor and like he's he doesn't want to break it but then he'll make these snap decisions like uh also in that first episode there is an alliance agent on the ship and he tries to bring river back and they're having this big debate about what to do with this agent like they have to get out of this planet the reavers are coming that's another whole faction of bad guys like cannibals and they have to leave and they have to leave now and everyone's arguing about what to do with this dude and mal's walking to the ship and he goes bang shoots the dude in the head throws him off the ship and off they go it's like he has a very uh finely tuned sense for when it's time to act and when it's time to like stop talking and act and i that's one of the things that just really drew me to mal yeah i mean i'm talking about the tams because they're very fascinating characters but in the end i mean mal is one of my favorites because he is just so complex and there's so much nuance and he, i feel like he does have code honors but not really he just is surviving and he has such a darkness to him that i think is just he keeps it reined in as much as he can, but it will come out. And, you know, he's going to protect his crew no matter what. If it's wrong, yes, it's wrong. But he's doing what he can to protect his crew and his ship. And so... Well, he makes such an interesting choice in the first episode just to allow River to stay on his ship. Because, like, there's a bounty on her. Like, he could just hand her over, collect the money, and live a little bit easier from that on. But instead, he decides to stick it to the Alliance and keep River on the ship. Casey, your thoughts on Mel before we move on to the psychic assassin girl? <laughs> yeah, Mel is fantastic, like everybody else. And I do agree. I think everything that he does as a as a choice for the betterment of of his crew or that's just how can i keep my crew alive how can i provide for my crew more than anything um yeah i think that was a an interesting decision i think a lot of it was the fact that he brought simon on as as the crew mm -hmm. as a crew member and yes a lot of it did have to do with also sticking it to the alliance but i think he's ultimately just loyal to his crew and he made a commitment to simon and yes that was there and he could have turned him in to get a, a big payday but he would have been turning his back on somebody that he made a promise to 
So that's mm. that's interesting. Um, yeah, I I well, I love Mal. Mal is great. He also <laughs> like it's Joss Whedon's writing. You know, yeah. every everybody has such great lines. His lines were were also fantastic. Yeah. Very like quick humored. Um, just he had me laughing every episode. <laughs> Um, I guess the point with Simon, keeping Simon, is I don't know if it would be explored more, but I think he views Kaylee as a little sister to him, and she's very precious to him, and I think they're touching Kaylee's precious to everyone. Kaylee is a treasure. (laughs) She's this treasure to him. I guess Kaylee represents his innocence, that he's sort of lost from the war and everything, and I think because Simon was there at the moment, I know Simon was a catalyst for why Kaylee was shot, but I think it sort of in his head there's always going to be some sort of injury and I think a doctor landed in his lap and he took that opportunity to take him on board so I think that's one of the biggest reasons that, he, that's a good point and the price he paid for that was taking River on board yeah. through most of the show of Firefly River is babbling and incoherent sometimes like a toddler um, then at other moments she's performing these incredible feats of like skill why did river stand out to you phoenix i because there's so much potential in her character that we will never find out but she was a fascinating character because you hear she's a genius but she's this girl that walks around just babbling not making sense you know she just quotes things and just doesn't seem all there but simon says she's a genius and an you start to see it a little bit through the episodes and you start seeing her coming out of the, um, her haze. And so you're, you get more and more intrigued with her. It's like, Oh, what was she going to be? What were they trying to create? You know, what was her potential and where were they going to go with the storyline? And I think the middle of the show, when I was saying every episode is my favorite for a while, I think it coincided with river really starting to blossom and like being more than just incoherent and like out of control and all over the place. So I agree. She was a really interesting character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Best color guy in the industry right there. (laughs) You are welcome. Um, Beyond the Tams, Mal and Jane, Casey, you had an affinity for the pilot, Wash, played by Alan, uh, I'm not even, I always think there's an R in his name and there isn't, and Joey makes fun of how I say it, so uh, Wash. Wash, yes. (laughs) I really like Wash, mainly, again, for just the sense of humor that he had. Um, The writing in the show is, just just keep saying it, it's fantastic, and Mm -hmm. (laughs) just the interactions together, but he always seemed to know what to say to to lighten the mood uh, when things got rough. Yeah. Um, and then his relationship with with Zoe, that was just something that was great. I think throughout the entire yes. episode too. But um, I do. Zoe, <laughs> Zoe was his wife and the first mate, and yep. she has she was in the war with Mel, and they have an incredibly close relationship, which creates a lot of friction for Wash, and they do a really interesting job of exploring that. Yeah, like they're they're back and forth, and even some of like the. I don't know if it's jealousy or whatever of the other crew. And like, you see it in one episode where somebody comes back that's in their past and is like, you, what, Zoe, Zoe got married? Are you kidding me? And it's like to, to watch you just kind of just a goofball who is like, doesn't seem like, you know, they're oil and vinegar. They don't seem like they'd ever go together, but they, they, they do. They, they kind of play off each other and, and their relationship is really great. Um, Instead of oil and vinegar, they're like vinegar and baking soda. <laughs> sure, explosive. <laughs> um, 
But I do want to talk, and I kind of want to jump ahead a little bit here. So this is to Serenity in the movie. So Wash is like the hero of of one of the scenes, and like I'm a leaf he, on the wind. I'm a leaf on the wind, and gets the Serenity <laughs> through this just like crazy battlefield of, of reavers, and then in the end, like he lands the ship or crash lands the ship, I should say, and all of a sudden. Hey, Bam. everyone's fine. Like they, everyone. It wasn't a crash landing; it was a landing. <laughs> so, spoiler alert! But this is a twenty-year-old show, so I, you know, whatever. Um. Anyway, so they like yes, he's like has his hero moment. Then all of a sudden, bam, he gets skewered by a giant pole through the chest and, and washes just like that, dead, dead. Right, and then it's like. It's this entire thing, fourteen episodes, and then this two-hour-long movie. Is is Wash and Zoe like this great relationship they have? And Zoe like is like no, no, Wash, oh, and then it's like oh, well, I got to do. Like, <laughs> and she just like flips the switch and goes completely into soldier mode. There's no remorse. There's no anything. And I just thought that was so cold. And like, it's a character that I felt like like Zoe was like super likable, and that like in the end just completely turned. <laughs> turn that off for me i'm like what in the world like it really surprised me and i don't know if that was her writing or if that was just her having to in that moment like become what they needed to continue to survive or what it was but it was just so baffling to me that they i don't know like i think like she should have had a breakdown or something like that and then mal could have brought her out of it i don't know what it was but like i needed some more emotion than just like where's my gun i need to kill stuff (laughs) i I would chalk it up to shock uh, to put headcanon into it. Like in the moment, probably just shock and the soldier's instincts take over. What I think would have been interesting is exploring that grief more. Like if he had died on, say, the show, I think it would have been really interesting to see how that impacted everything like forever for all the rest of time. Um, Also, Feeney, you love Zoe. So defend your uh, first mate's honor here. Well, that's the problem. It's like watching. I love the movie. I know we're going to talk about it, but I just... I loved the movie so much when it first came out and the first couple times after that more than the show. But this time watching the show all the way through and then the movie, it's like the characters aren't the same as they were in the show. I felt they're a little more two-dimensional than they were in the show. And so I, we might dive deeper into that, but it just... And I, Zoe was really off to me in the movie than she was in the show. And I well, agree, what- it would have been interesting if there was some moment where Mal had to slap Zoe to get her to get moving, you know, but it, that would have been, I think, an interesting scene, you know, for yeah, him to for sure. kind of jar her in that sense. But I also liked Wash quite a bit. He, uh, he was essentially the comic relief in a very gritty show. I do find, inter- I, again, I love the relationship. I, you know, when I first saw it, it's like, I want a relationship like that because I just, it was beautiful what they had. So how do I live up to Wash's legacy, honey? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> um, what I found interesting, which shows the creativeness of Josh Whedon's writing, is you think it would be Wash who would want the kid in that episode of Heart of Gold. You think he'd be the one telling Zoe, let's have a kid, let's have a kid. You think it would be Zoe saying, no, we're in gunfights, we're always fighting, there's too much danger. But with the creativeness, they switched that where it was Zoe who's desperate for a baby and Wash, who just was very reluctant to having a baby. And I thought that was very interesting 
twist on what you would have expected with their relationship so yeah wash did surprise from time to time that was yeah. an interesting moment also the episode of war stories where he forces his way yes uh, <laughs> uh, onto the mission with captain reynolds and it winds yeah. up going horribly horribly awry like yeah. he just uh they he did a lot of you. they did a lot of interesting things with that character one of the first scenes with Wash in the show, he's playing with toy dinosaurs yes. and he has one of the iconic lines of the entire <laughs> yes. show. And it's just, he was a fantastic character that always kind of kept you on your toes. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to touch on Inara. Inara is an interesting character. She's a professional companion, which is essentially is a high-end courtesan that's legal in this fictional future like she's registered with a guild and it's all regulated um Feeney and i go back and forth on an hour quite a bit because uh to put words in your mouth you don't like her no. i thought she was very interesting because uh well she was very invested in the crew and what was happening with the serenity but she always had to like wear this mask so it felt like you never really saw what was going on with Anara. You always saw the front that she presented, but occasionally you'd you'd see underneath that. Like she was always in the right place at the right time. At the end of one of the episodes, she is the one who stole the MacGuffin, saved the day, and was ultimately the hero of the episode, even though she had been feigning disinterest the entire episode up to that point. I just thought it was I thought it was really interesting how they use that mask, but then they subvert your expectations by having her in the right place at the right time. What do you think of her, Casey? <laughs> I liked her better in Deadpool. <laughs> no. <laughs> she was, it was funny when she first came on. I'm like, how do I know her? Like, what the heck was she at? But no, her character was um, was awesome. Uh, just like you said, for the... I, I don't know. The of course, it's it, the guys defending Morena back <laughs> right. Weird how that happens. <laughs> just like when we double-team Feeny for... Uh, what was the actress? Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. <laughs> I just like all the little like subtle intricacies of her character where it's you expect her to just be so so one side and like you said like it's, it's she she saved the entire crew in that in that one episode which she saw you know through everything granted it was maybe because she's used to the way that other um I want to say courtesans but like what are, what are the companions companions in this in this episode how other companions act so she knew like for sure so she was on the saffron instantly get, yeah, betrayed <laughs> like you guys are all idiots this is what's going to actually happen and the fact that she got the crew to go along with it um i think says a lot for someone maybe in her profession which i know that she keeps trying to to get mal to kind of overcome and mal keeps like calling her Mel's very antagonistic. Yeah, Mel yeah. calls her a whore constantly and it orcs her and he probably does it just because it annoys her. Yes. And in the in the end, like there's just this really crazy like sexual tension between the two of them that we need more episodes to explore. <laughs> I think that's another reason that both Mel and Anara stand out to me. Phoenix, we talked about this last month when we were discussing Thor, Love and Thunder and how much I love that film. Part of the reason that I like the relationship between Mel and Anara is because it is messy. It is clunky. It is awkward. They don't know like how all the stuff works together. They can't, they're not brave enough to say what they really mean and feel. And like that, that feels real to me. And like, I really enjoyed that just the awkwardness and the challenges. And they had a really funny joke at the end of one of the episodes, uh, just playing off of their awkwardness. No, I agree. It's their relationship is messy. I give you that, uh, for character rating, it goes in Nara, then Jane. 
So <laughs> at the very bottom of your. <laughs> but to me, she's very flat. I know she has a lot of secrets. I know she wears a mask. But to me, as far as a lot of nuance where all of the other characters kind of sort of have, I know Kaylee, she's kind of the exception because she's the bright, shining star of that whole brightness and shininess and happiness. But I don't know. I know what they're trying to do with the Nars character. It just did not fall through for me. And. And I get it. It's a great sort of tension-building thing between Mal and Inara as far as characters. Will they, won't they, will they, won't they type situation. It's just when you come down to the grittiness, Mal will never accept her as a partner, a full-time partner, unless she's willing to give up her whole lifestyle. And knowing Inara and what she's, you know, she loves what she does. She loves you know, being there for people and making them happy and doing what she does as a companion. And the very high-end lifestyle. And the high-end lifestyle. Is she willing to let that go? And that is the thing that kind of, like, you can see them getting together, but in the end, 20 years down the line, are they still together? It's a big question. You know? Probably not. And, like, I love that messiness. It makes me think of uh, a couple of people that we know in yeah. real life like some in real life some people are just poisoned for each other sure. and like yeah, they're sure. drawn together but like it just it's cursed to never work out for whatever reason so i thought it was interesting to see that portrayal in the show i just to me i can see her doing what nadia did um is it nadia um heart of gold the main oh um, yeah not what she did you know having a house of her own taking care of girls and outer planet I could see Inara doing that at the, towards the end of her life, but, you know, it's just, she's, I can see what they're trying to do with her character. It just, for me personally, did not come through the screen as well as it should have, in my opinion. So. Honestly, I'm not sure which character I would put at the bottom of the rankings. Probably Jane, but, like, it's all really close. Like, I mean, for me, it's Jane being the bad guy on the good guy's side. Like, that's why he gets... Shuffle down like if he did a full turn and went like full villain uh then i might be a little more interested in it interesting well we'll move from there on to some of our favorite episodes that stand out from this 14 episode run casey i was just begging on your beloved character jane there is an entire episode dedicated to jane tell us about janestown yeah janestown um so yeah it's episode entirely about jane and so what's not to like about that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think in that episode, you just learn so much about his character where <laughs> you see him at his highest of highs in the very beginning where they're... Yeah, go ahead. Well, to set it up just a touch more, the crew is doing this job in the settlement and Jane is trying to uh, be very low profile because he had done a job there in the past and it went awry and so he thought he'd have a bad reputation there and he didn't want to hinder things uh and it turns out he had inadvertently like dropped a bunch of money and the people hailed him as a folk hero yeah he's like uh robin hood to them so there's <laughs> they get there like you said he's got a cloak over his head and he's trying to be really inconspicuous and, and like just blend in with everybody and then <laughs> there's a scene and they flash and there's a statue of jane in the town hall it's like <laughs> what in the world is going on then he goes into the bar and there's a little kid there who recognizes him and then he comes outside and the whole town is standing in the square and they're and just like don't forget about the song well, yeah and then they start singing a song <laughs> and, and like it's just it's hilarious like i was just laughing out loud like oh my gosh what's going on here and then in the end you find out that he didn't do it on purpose which 
duh, it's Jane. Like he would never do something that <laughs> nice like that, right? No, he he did it because the ship that they were in to get away was damaged, and um, in order to decrease weight, he ended up having to first throw his crewmate out, and then second throw the the cash out so he could actually fly away or he was going to crash and die. So, so that's why he ended up having to dump all the money. Um, and in the end, the townsfolk found out that story. So that's where you get to see him at his lowest of lows. And there's like an incredibly emotional scene at the end yes. where the person who he threw out of the, the ship to save himself actually lived and has been in prison there and confronts him and is about to kill him. And one of the townsfolk, even after finding out everything about him, still jumps in front of the bullet and sacrifices himself to save Jane, even though Jane is a butthole. Like it's <laughs> so I don't know it, the whole episode. It, it was just funny to me where I already had this kind of attachment to Jane as, as my favorite person. And then all of a sudden, yeah, there's an entire episode and they're just worshiping him for being a jerk which they didn't know but that's that's what it was so i just thought the whole thing was 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 funny and really really well done it was a excellent job of subverting our expectations because nobody goes into an episode thing that it's gonna be like oh how is the bad guy actually a hero in someone's perspective it was really fascinating how they worked around our expectations for jane feeney did you have any thoughts on janestown I it's a wonderful episode and it is hilarious to see Jane him just trying to be in disguise and then hearing the song and just everything was cleverly done and I think again about the different layers to Jane's personality it's a great scene at the end of the episode where he's he just can't grasp his head around why did the kid do that why did the kid jump in front and save my life after hearing and it just the acting was done beautifully. It just it does show the depth of Jane that is there that unfortunately we won't be able to see much of, you know. And we've been talking a lot about what a bad guy Jane is. I've been saying that he's the bad guy on the crew, but he, you know, a, a truly terrible person would be like, Oh, well they're dead, I yeah. I move on. Thank thank goodness I'm alive, yay me. And he has a lot of uh remorse that this innocent person jumped in front of a bullet that was meant for him so that was that was really interesting diving into that and how hard he took it mm-hmm. phoenix pivoting to one of your favorite episodes ariel uh the crew heads to ariel to rob a hospital tell us a little bit about ariel and why that specific episode stands out to you uh, it's like a little mini heist movie um basically river is getting worse um simon doesn't know what to do and all of a sudden he approaches the crew saying, I have a job for you. And so you see all, like in a heist movie, of them going over the plans and doing their bits and getting the costumes and just everything you expect from that. And you get to see um, Simon in a different element. He is comfortable in his, infirm- uh, where he takes care of people, infirmary. Mm-hmm. Perfect word. I just wanted to note that... Um... He was doing it because he needed a special piece of equipment to look at Rivers' brain. So, like, he organized this heist on a hospital so that he and River could get in, use this special piece of equipment, and the crew, for their help, would get all of this uh, medicine, basically, that wouldn't be missed, and they could, in turn, sell for Because a lot the of money. Alliance would restock it just with a matter of hours, so it wouldn't have been missed at all. But, it, you know, so... Him being in charge, where it's Mal that's in charge of the um, 
putting together the heist, you get to see Simon in that role and his ability to put together a plan and then, you know, them actually going in, being there, and then him being actually back in his world where he is in a hospital where he's comfortable and there's a person in Rivers trying to tell him, you know, he's going to die and he's like, no, and he jumps in and starts taking care of this person and then he saves the guy's life this patient's life and he turns and just reprimands this doctor and this doctor doesn't know who this is but i mean simon just saved his life and the patient's life it's interesting on a couple of levels because a it demonstrates his expertise in medicine like he just snap analysis knew what was going on went in fixed the situation um and then uh really went after that doctor to try to help save more lives in the future. And, you know, the nurse even questioned what Simon was going to do in the process, but everything he did saved that patient's life. And this episode, once they get to the imagery, you get to see how um, he gets a picture of River's brain, and then he's going to use that information to figure out what they did to River's brain. But in the meantime, Jane has contacted... Uh, the Alliance and wanted to turn in Simon and River for the reward. So Jane diverts from the plan and you follow them in the hands of Blue, these guys that River is afraid of. Which I think it felt like they were building this up to be like the ultimate big bad in the universe. Like uh, I forget how often they're referenced. They're in this episode and then they go away forever. Like again, just what would have happened? She referenced it a couple times in the episodes, but yeah, they disappear completely. But I think they were going to be the big baddies for River. But um, and so Jane doesn't realize he's getting arrested in the process because you know. The Alliance officer wants the money for himself, so Jane is now a prisoner too. They break out, and it was an interesting scene with Jane fighting the one guy, and Simon takes out his guy way faster than Jane. But because of his medical knowledge, he knew how to knock the guy out faster. But And then this is where you get to see River. You get to get a glimpse of what she's capable of doing. She leads him right to Mal. She knew where she was going. She her mind reading or whatever, you follow them as she leads them to Mal, who leads them back to the ship. And then, again, you get to that very poignant scene where Mal knew what Jane did and them talking through the window, and he's about to... And you get the willy or won't you yeah. flush Jane out the airlock. Keyhole him, but, you know, <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's a... The whole episode had so many different things to it, and... You get to see the dark side of Mal, especially at the end with Jane. You know, it's like, is Mal really going to do it? You know, you know, is he going to really let Jane go? But then you also see Jane's softer side in ways don't tell the crew. So I think the episode is well put together. And you get to see a lot of different nuances. I keep using that word, but just the complexity of the characters in this episode. So. Casey, any thoughts on Ariel? Um... Yeah, I think it was definitely one of the one of the best episodes for kind of exactly what you were saying. From where it's just we keep talking about the different layers of these characters, and this is one of the episodes where you really, I think, get to see all these different layers of the characters um, really start to unfold and, and peel back. So it's yeah. it, it was 
Definitely one of my favorites as well. Well, I think you guys are wrong. The best episode is clearly, indisputably out of gas. In this episode, uh, it opens with Mel lying on the floor, bleeding. The ship seems dark. No one else is around. And he starts stumbling around. Uh, A major catastrophe has happened. Serenity is completely disabled. And they... Uh, Mal's in a bad, bad way. He's the last person on the ship. He's injured, and it's they took an interesting approach to how they told this particular episode yeah. because it's very Mal-heavy, and you're following the linear progression of uh, this accident that happens on the ship and what happens there, how the crew is evacuated, why Mal's staying behind. But interspersed with that is like the backstories of all the characters, and I thought it was just masterful how they showed Mel's life flashing before his eyes by showing all the other people on Serenity and like his first contacts with them like that's where you see the first interactions with Wash and there's a hilarious bit where Zoe's like I don't like him we shouldn't (laughs) hire him I just just don't like him I can't say why and I thought a couple of points that stood out are a couple of points of Mel's character really stood out to me here first the stakes were really high like Serenity was completely disabled the crew was out of oxygen life support was gone so like it was possibly the end. And I thought this would have been a very interesting endpoint for the series of like Mal dies, Serenity is just floating out in space. Like this would have been a great yes. place to like just end it all. Very morbid ending, but sure. It's yeah. an ending. Dark and depressing. Uh, but Mal's determination to survive stood out to me here. Like he uh, somehow he miraculously gets another ship to come show up and uh, like he needs a specific part. And the guy on the other ship is like, yeah, we have a part. And so the guy and his crew come over to hand over the part they give it to mal mal says well here's my whole take whatever you think is fair for this piece and the dude shoots him and like mal somehow gets out of that and survives long enough for the crew to come back and rescue him and it's just this whole episode the stakes were so high it was so intense and the little moments of brevity where you meet the other crew members for the first time i just i loved out of gas like i could watch this episode again and again and again well, I guess, you know, talking about this episode and going back to Wash and Zoe's relationship and, I, you know, talking about how Zoe's grief in the movie wasn't well portrayed where Wash basically refuses to drive the ship and refuses to try to help fix the ship because Zoe is dying on the table. And so it's like... There was a really interesting confrontation between between Mal and Wash. Like, Mal, like, Zoe's injured. Zoe is in a bad way, Mm -hmm. too. And Mal's trying to get the ship back on its feet. He's trying to, it's his job to keep the crew working and to keep them focused. And Wash is completely, like, out of sync. And they have a shouting match. And, like, Mal's able to get Wash to take a step and then another step, another step, and to keep carrying on so that not everybody dies. It was, I thought. It gave an insight to how Mal captained his ship, and I thought that was fascinating. It was. and, and Also, that, Wash had a mustache in the flashback, which, which was just really funny. I agree. It's a well-put-together show. I mean, episode. It shows how we the characters came aboard. It shows their backstories a little bit, and it was very cleverly done. So, Casey, did you have thoughts on Out of Gas, or can I push on to Phoenix's next one? Let's move on. We were just talking about a confrontation between Mal and Wash. It's not the only time that they clashed. Uh, In the episode War Stories, 
Mel and uh, Zoe are telling all these stories from their days in the war, and Wash gets really jealous. And so it's always Mel and Zoe going out on these missions. Yeah. And so Wash decides that he's had enough, and he like he sabotages the shuttle so that only he can fly it. So he has to go out on this mission with Mal, which is supposed to be like a cake run mission. So Mal okays it. And it winds up being this horrible thing. They get captured. They get tortured. And they go through this whole ordeal together. What made war stories stand out to you so much? Well, it's just, again, the confrontation between um, Mal and Wash. But once they are captured by Niska, which is someone that you meet early on in the episodes, and they... um, It's somebody they had uh, uh, took a job from in the second episode, and they decided morally they couldn't like give him the booty so they returned his money but it didn't make everything nice so Niska was pissed and wants the serenity crew especially mal and so he has wash and mal he's torturing them but mal's ability to keep wash going through the torture is just very <laughs> and what did he use to push to those levers like how did he keep wash from breaking under the pressure he used zoe he kept saying oh yeah i want to have zoe i want to have sex with her just he kept egging on wash to keep him alive and and it's interesting when zoe does get washed back Zoe. When he collapses, he's like, he saved my life. He kept me going. Wash knew what he was doing. And then the whole war stories continues. Um, the story continues with them going to save Mal. And then again, you get another piece of River's character. Which like you find out that she's not a, like a babbling invalid. English. She is a BA assassin. And like there's just, it's like a five second scene with her. And it's like... Whoa. Yeah, Kaylee's cornered. She she can't shoot um, to protect herself. Also, River comes up and she looks out real quick and she's like, can't see. She closes her eyes, whips around and just kills uh, three guys um, point blank. And she it just shows that she has been trained and conditioned to be an assassin. So you get a little bit more into her backstory, but you also get a little bit of a glimpse into Book's backstory too because he knows him away around guns and shooting and let's <laughs> drop everything right here and let's address book book is a preacher they call them shepherds in this universe he's an older man he books passage on the firefly in the first episode he's never actually i think a formal member of the crew but he is around for the whole episode he's one of the nine main characters yeah. over the course of the show book gets mortally wounded simon i can't remember why i can't save him but like they have to bring him to an alliance cruiser and for some reason they just they scan his identity and they rush him in and then like in war stories he He's like commanding Simon and some of the other troops. And so like clearly he has this military background. And it's like they never dive into just who Book was after the fact. And it drives me absolutely freaking batty. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, which kind of we can go into my favorite episode, Objects in Space, or second favorite, I should say, where the... <laughs> The bounty hunter Jubal is involved, and in that one, like he even he like he he knocks out book and knocks out book, and then they go over. I forget who comes up to him, and he's like, "Yeah, that's no shepherd." Yeah, he knows like there's something else to that guy that that uh, that we don't know about, and unfortunately, we never get to find out about. But and here's the question that I posed to Feeney the other day, and now I'll pose it to you too, Casey. Do you think? there was actually a plan and a backstory with book is there like some big secret that we just never knew because they never had a chance to tell the story or was he just like a macguffin 
that was there to drive the plot. It's like whenever they need something specific, it's like, oh, book spooky history. <laughs> He's really good with guns too. And oh yeah, like he can cook and he can garden. And he can do all this other stuff. Like, do you think there was really a plan and a history and a backstory? Or do you think it was just a device when needed? I don't know. I mean, that's a really, really good question because they did a fantastic job with every other character um, telling yeah. what their backstory is. And, like, you get to know them pretty well throughout the 14 episodes, except for Book. Um, so I feel like if there was something there that they would have told us, but then at the same time, that mystery does kind of keep it going. So. And it seems like, I don't know, with, with the way this is written, there has to be something else there. Like, there has to be some sort of story that they were going to tell us in the future. So so I do think that there is something that Joss Whedon had it, it, in the back of his mind for, for Book. I think it was, was going to become more integral, um, and we would have found that out, but I guess we'll never know. Yeah, and I I agree. I think there I think it was going to be a character with a secret because Anara has a secret that we are going to find out at some point. I think all the characters, except for Zoe and I think Mal, have some sort of secret that is going to be touched on if they kept going with the series. But going back to war stories, I loved the show because you got to see Mal with someone else besides Zoe. You get to see Mal trying to keep someone alive because he had someone who wasn't Zoe. But also, some of the best lines came out of that episode, too. I'll be in my bunk from Jane. <laughs> but, and one of my favorite scenes is when they all can come together as a crew. Even Simon, he picks up a gun. They all come together to save Mal. You know, who it's like who cares we're gonna save Mal we're gonna put ourselves on the line to save our captain that's sweet and it's a uh, conceptually it's great but like half those people should have died I know they should <laughs> and I mean it also shows uh, Wash's ability as a, um, a pilot you know you hear that he's the best pilot but you don't really see it a lot of times and in this episode you see him driving the ship and docking it without using the engine and then my favorite line at the end of the episode Mal needs to do this on his own. You know, let's let him fight the bad guy on his own. And then you hear Mal say, no, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> and then they just blow the bad guy away from Mal. So I thought that was kind of a fun twist, too, to the end of the episode. <laughs> Most of the episodes that we've talked about so far have, like, a uh, a main story. They revolve around one of the central characters. There's a couple more to touch on. And these all seem to focus on a special guest character. Casey, you mentioned very briefly objects in space with a bounty hunter. Tell us a little bit more about this episode. How does the bounty hunter approach Serenity and why was it so interesting for you? Um, I just love the character Jubal, to be <laughs> honest with you. I mean, he was super charismatic. Was and... it all the rapey stuff that uh, <laughs> drew you to him? <laughs> Not, not particularly, and I don't think, like, in my heart of hearts that he actually would have done that. I think that he just used that as a yeah. as a tool for uh, for fear. Um, well, it worked. He was and, menacing as hell. Yeah, he was. He was, he was, he was a bad <laughs> Um And I'm just really mad that we don't get to know whether or not there was more to him. I mean, in the end, they, they over, overcame him and just, like launched him off into space with his little space suit and he's just spinning away well you're but... giving you're giving too much credit there you say that they overcame them 
River wow. outsmarted him. Like, yeah, River really. sensed him through the forest. River got into position. River, like, he managed to beat the crap out of Mal, lock Mal in his room. He locked most of the crew in their room. He managed, he came upon Kaylee and just terrified her and tied her up. And then he finds Simon and has is having Simon escort him around the ship. And, like... And Jane just slept the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so, the, like, the whole crew is incapacitated, <laughs> except for River, who somehow manages to get out. She gets onto his ship. She makes him believe that she has melted into serenity and is talking to him through the ship. She manages to get Kaylee to free herself to free Mal to get Mal in the right place and it was just it was the final episode of the show and it's like oh my goodness River is brilliant pulling all of these pieces together to overcome the bad guy like the entire crew for all that they endured having Simon and River on the show like that last episode she'd literally save them all yeah yeah that's yeah, you know they you could see it evolving throughout other episodes how much of a, a BA that she mm-hmm. she was and yeah, you really get to see the culmination of it in this. And um, you know, as a series finale, technically, what this was, I, it, it as disappointing as it was, it, it still I think was, I mean, it's was not... a decent ending to the actual show. Like, it, there's so many questions yeah. that you had. At, disagree, uh, disagree vehemently. Like, it's not a season finale. It's just where the show got chopped off, and it, it happened to end with like a very thought-provoking scene. It's like, oh well. Okay, they've been talking about objects in space, and now this dude is just an object in space. Inter- it was an interesting place for the lights to get shut off, for the power to go out to never be brought up again. But I think you're giving Fox too much credit for wrapping it up that way. Well, I didn't. No, it, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Like it, it, it sucks really, really bad that it that it ended and never never came out again. And I'm super glad that they ended up making a movie which kind of wraps it everything up, which we'll talk about in a second. But for a a culmination of of the series i think you could have done worse true <laughs> yeah. it, it, objects in space never aired on tv so no one got to <laughs> see it until they got the dvds so yeah so. but um wow. it's that episode i enjoyed too it's just interesting because the whole question is do we trust river and then River saves all their lives. And the captain was going to think on it. And I think you sort of get a sense that he trusts her because, you know, he's outside with her. And, you know, the conversation they have a little bit that's brief. But um, she says, my welcome aboard, he says, yeah. You know, so permission to come aboard is what she says. But, you know. Very boaty. I want to keep this conversation moving forward. I just, uh, two more episodes that I wanted to note where the two that involve saffron are mrs reynolds and trash saffron is a villain in the show we mentioned her earlier she was the other companion only she where anara is using her companion to help the crew and to do good in the world kind of um saffron is using her companion training as a villain and like she uh manages to marry mal the captain and she tries to take over serenity and uh get the whole ship stolen basically and then she pops up in another episode and double crosses the crew again and it's just I thought Saffron was an incredibly charismatic and busty villain she I have to say Iron Mrs. Reynolds is a great episode because I mean the humor in that episode is great from the get-go and watching her interact with Mal like they present her as like this prairie flower like this young woman from this backwater planet and there's an interesting scene with book confronting Mal saying something like if you take advantage of her you're going to like a special yeah and then he reiterates special and it turns out like she uh she was just 
using her all of her assets to try to seduce Mal. She knocks him out, um, and it was just I loved every interaction with Saffron because yeah. you never knew what was coming next. Like literally anything could happen yeah. with that character. And then Trash, it's kind of interesting because you get a little more of her backstory from that episode and the whole heist and everything. And I just want to make a point about Inara supposedly saving them. It was Mel's whole plan. He planned it that Inara was sitting there to get the gun from the trash because he knew Saffron was going to be there. So. And she was in the right place at the right time. She's she, a part of the crew. She was part of the crew, but he placed her there. So she didn't quite save them. She could have said, no, nah, I'm going to go see a client. <laughs> but she didn't. She did the right thing. Inara's the hero. And Mel ended up naked in the desert. Yep. <laughs> a little bit of man in the show. Casey, what would you like to see if the show continued? What is your number one wish for if there was more Firefly? What would you want to see? Oh, wow. Number one wish. Um, I guess, boy, I want my love triangle really, really bad. But I, <laughs> uh, and how exactly would that work? Because Simon wants Kaylee, Kaylee wants Simon, and Jane. See, I think there's there's just something there that Kaylee's gonna. I don't know. She somehow is gonna start liking Jane too, and then like I don't know. Just mm-hmm. I I think it's interesting because there's obviously a lot of um, not hatred but dislike between Jane and Simon, uh, which we talked about. Yeah, it'd be, basically be Twilight, right? Like Jane's the werewolf and Simon's the sparkly vampire. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Very very uh, good analogy, Tom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Best GD podcast host well, in the world, Feeny. It's interesting. Um, big popular fan fiction is Jane and Simon together. <laughs> Jane and Simon? <laughs> yeah, that's it. See, I didn't see that in my love triangle, but hey, why not? <laughs> Maybe my love triangle just went the other direction, yeah. you know? Like, you know, Kaylee likes Simon, Simon likes Jane. Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that would explain a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I can see it. That makes more sense than than my plan, actually. I like that. When, like, Simon and Kaylee are alone in the tent looking at the camel fetus, and he's like, yeah, you're basically the only girl in the world, so... What's up? Exactly. Phoenix, the number one thing you would have liked to see if the show continued? Uh, The big thing is River. Yeah, that's the greatest tragedy. That is the greatest tragedy of the show being canceled because River is interesting. She has a huge arc, and like I feel like they barely scratched the surface. And I would desperately like to know how much Joss Whedon saw the writing on the wall. Like, did he try to speed things up with River, or was this always the natural progression? Like, was it midway through the first season that she would have really started to blossom and you see her potential, or was it going to be multiple seasons down the road? Like, it's tragedy. It is. Yeah. So, yeah. When also, <laughs> WTF was book. Like, I oh, already got that soapbox. Like, what on earth was book's history? Yes. Uh, I mean, they did the comic, but it's just... Uh... And it's been years since I read the comic, but I remember my takeaway was that I was very disappointed. Like, they had a very lousy fair explanation for That's it. That's what my thing... I read about it real quick. He um, basically was a street urchant criminal... Um, he became a brown coat, became a spy mole in the Alliance. He moved up in the ranks in the military of the Alliance. And then uh, there was a big battle where he helped the defeat of the Alliance. And then he was kicked out. And that's basically his storyline. So 
Interesting. But it just yeah. it was a letdown to me compared to what could have been. I thought it was going to be the operative like in the movie. So, well, if you got to address those letdowns, if you were face to face with a Fox executive of the era, what would you ask them about this show? Me? Yes. Oh, why out of order the episodes, and why did you put it in the kill zone time slot? Supposedly they put it on the worst time slot they could possibly do, which was Friday night when they know people aren't watching. So it's like what? curious decisions. Like yeah, it would be very interesting to know why on earth these were out of oh, and order. Oh, another question: Why did they not sell it to Sci-Fi? I know Sci-Fi Channel offered them a couple times, and they never was willing to do it. So yeah, and it. it they well, I would say they got nothing from it, but they did get all the DVD sales, yeah. which for a very popular thing. They probably got some kickback for the rights for Serenity the movie, or they produced the movie. I don't know how these things yeah. work, but money—that's why they didn't sell it to Sci-Fi. The money probably wasn't right. Yeah. Casey, what would you ask that same Fox executive? I don't think there's a whole lot else to ask them. I mean, they completely fumbled everything for some stupid reason. But I think that is really interesting. You say like money, where? If they saw the popularity of the show and didn't want to sell it because they figured they'd make a bunch of money off of DVD sales, would they have made a lot more money by just keeping the show running on television? Yeah. Maybe, maybe <laughs> not, because, like, this was an expensive show with all the effects, so, like... Yeah, I don't know. It's... My question would be, and this makes sense with me being a marketer, but how did the marketing get so out of whack? Like the TV spots where this had such, uh, they called an aura like a cosmic core, and they said, out there? Oh, yeah, it's out there. And like it was supposed to be like this super uh, comedic thing with like a Smash Mouth song playing in the background. It's like... Well, we heard about the marketing. It was just so out of touch with what the show actually was that, A, if somebody saw the marketing and was interested, they'd uh, watch the show and be like, oh, yeah, this freaking sucks. <laughs> and, B, if you were someone that was interested in the show, you'd watch the commercial and be like, oh, yeah, this show freaking sucks. So, like, it just – how did this whole thing get so, so bogged down? Like, were Buffy and Angel Fox shows? Like, was they he the gold? Yeah, they were both Fox shows. Well, like, wait, I should backtrack. Uh, WB, I think. Yeah, I gotta remember this correctly. I can't. I think. I feel like Buffy was on WB. Yeah, for Buffy sure, was. But on I don't the, know if it started on WB. Yeah, I can't remember if it started on WB and Angel was there, but then it got moved to Fox. Somehow the two got split. So some goofy thing. So. The takeaway rights are complicated. <laughs> Overall thoughts and takeaways on the twenty-one-year-old show Firefly. Casey, first time through. Yeah, I'm very, very surprised how much I enjoyed the show. Um, as much, you know, like you said this was kind of a joke going back to. I don't remember how it came yeah. out. How, you know, you criticized my taste in movies and what I'd seen of sci-fi, and yeah, I man. said, "Well, you've never seen Firefly, so shut up." Yeah, that was basically it. And I was like, I, at that point in time, I, I had no idea what Firefly even was. Never heard of it. Didn't know it was anything. Didn't know when it came out. Didn't so. And I was still like 100%. Like, Casey, you're doing this show. Okay, cool. Where do I find it? Oh, it's on Hulu? All right, let's find it. Click. All right. Holy crap. Cowboys in space. Let's go. Um, yeah, the, it ended up being really, really, really good. So thank you for making me watch it. Uh, the writing and characters were, you know, just really well done. And I see why people were really, really pissed when it was canceled. Yeah, no doubt. Feeny, thoughts and takeaways from rewatching Firefly? Rewatching. 
again, love watching the complexity of the characters come through on the screen, um, the actors, watching how dark Mal can get, and just the storylines, uh, just the creativity and the writing. So. Yeah, it's a great show. It's still still a quality show to this day. Like Sometimes the effects are lacking, but 21 years old, technology has come a long way. Uh, it's very digestible. It, only 14 episodes actually made the air. Um if you're looking for a sci-fi show, like you can get through this without a lot of yes. effort. And it's really, really good. And I also thought that it was just, it was better the second time through. Like having a familiarity with the characters and not like processing everything. Do I like this person? Do I not like this person? And trying to like interpret all of their actions. Like I really, really enjoyed watching it the second time through. Oh man. Well, this show is so good. And like these Western scenes had me so riled up that like, I actually wanted to be a real cowboy. So I went out and I tried to bareback a horse. And not like that, Tom, you sicko. So anyway. I like that you wrote that into the read. That was great. Because <laughs> like, I was reading this the first time before we got on. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> But yes. So anyway, barebacking this horse. And the dang thing threw me off. And now my neck and back are just killing me. Uh, who should I go to to have this looked at? Casey, you should check out Premier Health. They have solutions for back pain, neck pain, car accident, cowboy-related injuries, and more. We suggest seeing Dr. Camille in Golden Valley, Minnesota. Learn more at PremierHealthMN.com. That's PremierHealthMN.com. For our next segment, we tackled the movie Serenity. In 2005, Captain Mel Reynolds and his crew were back in the air as fans got some degree of closure with the film Serenity. With a runtime of one hour and 59 minutes, the entire crew is back to protect River as she dodges an assassin and unravels a secret that could bring down the Alliance. Similar question to kick us off here. How well does this movie hold up? Casey, you had never seen this movie, of course, before because you had never heard of Firefly or this universe. How did this movie hold up being 17 years old? Uh, just like the show, surprisingly really, really good uh, with even higher production value. So... The special effects are even just tuned up a little bit more. Acting and writing is still great. Um, Do you think the special effects good. live up to today's standard? I wouldn't go that far, but like this is something where. But it's not like when we're watching the '90s video game movies. It's like, oh god, this uh, this is terrible. Right. You know, it's it's way way better than that. But like, I would compare it to like I've seen worse shows on sci-fi right now that are made, you know, recently. So for it to be. When did this come out? You said 2009? 2005. 2005. So, I mean, yeah, that's still, that's yeah, that's a long time ago, 17 years ago. So it's, it's really, really good I for, for that time. And even like I said for today, like I've seen, I've seen more stuff on television right now than, than what was in this movie. It's a ringing endorsement if I ever heard one. <laughs> Feeney, you've seen Firefly nine times. How many times have you seen this movie? 15? 20? Oh, okay. So, well, I, That's less times than I've seen This is the End. <laughs> and the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. Uh-huh. <laughs> how well does it hold up going back to it now? You mentioned earlier how much you've always had an affinity for this movie. How is it now? Well, that's an interesting thing. I've always loved the movie. I always loved, you know, bringing the characters back and the storyline and finding a little bit more out about the river and we find out about the reavers it's just 
this time around, I had a hard time because we watched the whole show and then we immediately jumped into the movie and I felt like the characters were just a little bit off. But I understand this is a movie format versus a TV show. There's still sort of the nuances to the characters, but I felt like they weren't as deeply developed as they were in the show. And I agree with you. I think it's good. And I agree. I felt like the characters all seemed like caricatures of themselves. And it's one hour and 59 minutes of runtime as opposed to 14 hour long episodes. Like over 14 hour long episodes, you can have nine characters and everyone can have their moment. Oftentimes in this film, because it was such a straight line where they're trying to get away from the assassin and then yeah. figure out the secret with the reavers like all the crew has to be there all the time and like there's no chance for anyone to breathe and just everyone mal's very snippy simon's very antagonistic with mal just nobody felt like they had watching the show and it was it it was a jarring transition going from one right into serenity i think it has to be like that though i mean this movie is specifically made for the people who watch firefly as a kind of last hurrah let's wrap this thing up so you guys can have some sort of closure and know mm-hmm. kind of where we wanted this story to go so there's just no way to add in that development of character and i think you have to have in order to squeeze it into a two-hour window you have to have that kind of caricature of of every character to to get to where you need to go to tell the story you can't have it, a lot of nuance for nine yeah. different main characters exactly like you just can't add in and you can't have each character trying to you know be what they were in the show because it would end up having to be an entire new season of show again. yes it would be. so like for for what it was and for me as, as seeing it for the first time mm-hmm. i think it served its purpose really really well yeah, it it does. I agree. It does serve its purpose. It's just it was interesting because I loved the movie so much, and this time around, it's like, wait, it just kind of was odd for me in that space to find it jarring. And again, going back to Jane and Mel, it's just Jane to me was quite a bit off from what he was in the show. A lot more in Mel's face where he wasn't so much in the show. You mean Simon? Uh Jane. There's the confrontation with um, Jane and Mel, and he says, don't you dare walk away from me, you know, just. I'm totally spacing on that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mel brings the girl back. It's, there's a scene where um, Jane is just yelling at Mel, which is I felt like a little unusual for Jane in ways, so, but. So. Yeah, Jane wasn't much for directly confronting authority. He was more... Uh, Especially Mal, because I think he really, yeah. really looks up to Mal. He does, yeah. anyway. So yeah. I just felt like that scene was quite a bit off for his character. So, But but you guys make great points. It's just to have closure and have a story, and it's a movie format, it's just harder to bring that nuance into this. So. And it's better than nothing. Uh, Casey, what was the number one element of this film for you? What stood out more than anything else? The operative Chuatel Ejiofor. Good job writing that out phonetically, too. Like, good research. I would have just copied that off of IMDb (laughs) and then read it live and said, oh, goodness, this is going to be rough. Yeah. Very complicated name. Yeah. Very fantastic actor. Uh, He was super, super good in this movie. And I can see why he's 
gone on to do other roles in major movies and was nominated for an Academy Award for his role in 12 Years a Slave. Like, he's a phenomenal actor. Yeah, like, yeah. really, really good. And he carried carried this movie, to be quite honest with you. Like, it was... What was it, was it about so his character good. that stood out to you so much? Was it, was it his BA fighting skills or what, some other aspect of his character? I just think, like, he commanded every scene that he was in, I felt like. Like, he just... Um, Maybe it was just because of an introduction of a new character, so it's kind of like easy to glob onto in a sense as well. But I just think he th- was so commanding and so um, like spot on with everything he did. And yes, like he was just a super crazy bad <laughs> too. So that that did help. But um, those of us who edit the show prefer to say B A B A. He was B A. Well, what I think made him so noteworthy, like, you say B.A. assassin, and, like, you get a picture, and, like, he fights with a sword, and, like, you think you have a certain perception of what that kind of character is going to be, but he's very cerebral. He's very intentional with all his actions. He sets a very deliberate trap for Mal, and, like, Mal's antagonizing him, and he's being very Mal, and he's like, bro, you can't intimidate me, or you can't anger me. Like, I'm not... He's very zen, and he takes a very even-keel approach in all his interactions with hot-headed Mal, and I thought that was really interesting, and he... Joss Whedon is just a master of subverting my expectations with these different types of characters. And I agree with everything you guys are saying. I When I first watched the movie, I couldn't believe this character. And he did own every scene, like Casey was saying. It's just, he was incredible. And I thought he took to the role and just brought the sort of clinical zen-like character. But he has this darkness that you did not know until... That scene where Mal is seeing all his friends dead. It's like, wow, he went there to draw Mal out. And it's like, you can see the darkness there. But um. And there's also touches of humor. Like, my probably favorite scene in the movie, or one of my favorite scenes in the movie, is Mal goes to... The operative goes to Inara to set a trap for Mal. And so Mal knows it's a trap, but he is going to go save Inara. So he shows up, and the guy says something to the effect is, of, I'm unarmed. And Mal's like, okay, good, and shoots him. <laughs> and yeah. the dude stands up, he's like, well, I'm wearing armor because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and then Inara saves the day again. Like She creates the diversion that allows Mal and Inara to escape to live to fight another day. I'll give you that. She's very clutch. Yes, a little bit. Yeah, very but clutch. Who brings a bow and arrow to a gunfight with the Reavers? Come on. It's a little silly that they uh, they were all expected to make a last stand against the Reavers. Uh, what else stands out about this film before we move on to the next point? One point that I have... Summer Glau is amazing. She plays River. Yeah. Uh, I did not know this, but Feeny, you told me the other night that she was a ballerina. Like she's a uh, dancer by trade. She was a dancer by trade. I know she did an Angel episode where she plays ballerina and she does all the dances and stuff. But... And she did. You said she did all her own stunts in this movie. As far as I remember correctly, yeah, she did all the stunts so they could have the camera work close to her. So. I think. I mean, there's certain there are certain shots where you never see the face, and that always yeah. makes me skeptical. But there were a lot of shots where it was her and like that. Mon- she has a monstrous fight scene against the Reavers where it's basically re- River against the entire Reaver army and like it's just amazing and it looked like she did almost all those stunts and she was Summer was amazing in this film yeah I think uh, watching some of the extras they you see her going through them walking her through and watching her do it in the extras you watch her actually 
you know, not on the film, but someone filming as they're filming her doing that sequence. So good on her. Has she done anything else? Like, is she an accomplished actress, or did she just do? I know she did the uh, Terminator show for a while. Oh, she was Sarah Connor in the Sarah Connor. No, she played another character in the show, and she's done a few other things. But she did a movie that I would really like to see. Badass Kingdom or something. I can't remember the full title, but... Is Gal Gadot in it? No. Uh, <laughs> nuts. But no, I agree. River in at, at Summer, everything, you know, she really shined in this movie, you know, just playing the role of trying to come out of the babbleness that she has, but trying to be coherent too. And, you know, it, it was well put together with her and... And they take her, like, all over the place. Like, she does some kooky things. She does some very strange things. There's some really interesting shots with how she can contort her body and, like, eavesdrop on the rest of the crew. And just, I mean, this movie is essentially River's story, right? So, yeah. like, I said that the greatest tragedy was not seeing River's arc. At least we got some of it. More of a taste. Excuse me. More of a taste of it. Is Serenity a fitting end for the crew? Oh, that's tough. I mean, I, I like that we got answers to some of the questions, but... I mean, a perfect ending would be multiple more seasons in the show playing out as Joss Whedon had intended. But, like, is this... This is something, right? Right. This is definitely better than nothing. Yeah. But it was really <laughs> tough having it all wrapped up in that two hours. And, man, was it hard, like, <laughs> learning all those answers at the expense of the ship crew members like everything so because a lot of bodies hit the floor in this film absolutely and i think it would have been a lot less jarring had it been spread out over seven seasons instead of in a two-hour window because less jarring and more impactful yes yeah for sure if it was more game of thronesy than just like (laughs) i don't know imagine wash's send-off being at the end of like a season like you have to wait a whole other year to see how like the crew is processing that guilt like that would have been that would have been really interesting for sure uh just talking about wash's death um i remember uh reading something somewhere someone wrote about how they went to the movie theater and because they had seen Firefly and Wash dying, they had to go to the bathroom really bad during Avengers, and they, they was like, it's a Josh Sweden film, something's gonna happen. They leave to go to the bathroom, they come back, and they turn to the person, did anyone important die yet? Five minutes later, um, Phil Coulson dies. So like, come on, <laughs> you, know, just, you know. So the running tag with Josh Sweden films is that he does not care who's important he will take a character out for the story you know that can have a tremendous impact too and so no overall it's a it's a nice little ending to firefly in ways and it gives you some sort of idea but there's the comic books now there's novels out there that are being commissioned to help give the fans more material apparently there's some uh, pretty spicy fan fiction too Oh, yeah, there, there's a lot of fan fiction out there, but um, but yeah, you're a fan of fan fiction, Feeny. <laughs> that was a fun sentence. <laughs> Is have you read any uh, Firefly fan fiction that really stood out to you? And like, if so, what was like the main story points, or what um, aspects of fan fiction do you enjoy in the Firefly universe? Because yeah, I mentioned the one story. Um, the one story I read was that um, when Simon brought. Uh, River into Ariel to the hospital. It turns out he finds out she's pregnant. Turns out the 
academy had impregnated her to further, you know, try to have her carry a baby and then they would take the baby and do whatever they were going to do to the baby as well. Like they were trying to make another super, super super geniuser baby. Yeah. And Mal, he stands up and basically says, it was my fault. I took her virginity. She's pregnant with my kid and basically lied to the whole crew because he felt like this was a way to hide her. She got married to him so that the lions would not realize that. River is still out there with the baby, and so it was his way of hiding. And if that was the setup, then I would understand Simon antagonizing Mel the way that he did in Serenity. (laughs) That would have made a lot more sense. But no, it's just one story someone wrote was just... Yeah, I read a news story today. I read a news story today. There was a one-year-old in China that had a fetus in her brain. I'm sorry, what? There was a one-year-old girl in China. She was having some developmental problems. She couldn't sit up on her own. And so they did some tests, and they found out that she had a congenital twin that was partially developed in the brain. Yeah. Sure. So uh, they they cut it out, and there's a picture. And it was one of the most terrifying pieces of organic matter I've ever seen. Okay. I want to ask a question. Um, About firefly, serenity, or the uh, congenital twin? Firefly. Uh, Thank goodness. Serenity, I should say. Um. In your opinions, you know, in the show, the Reavers was always this boogeyman in the sidelines. We got a little bit here and there, but you felt like this was going to be something bigger. You know, with Joss Whedon's show, if he could continue, it was going to be a bigger story. How did you guys feel as far as what created the Reavers? And was it, you know, an interesting storyline and satisfactory as far as the big boogeyman in that universe so um i thought it was uh for me during the 14 episodes i i really didn't expect much out of them i guess like i mm-hmm. i believed like just like the rogue like, not necessarily like the, they saw the edge of space and they went insane like that's sort mm-hmm. of like those sort of rumors but like i could believe that it's just a like band of of people who are just sick of what's going on and like this is just the way that they choose to live like that sort of thing yeah so in the in the movie where they reveal that they were created by by the alliance to i don't know wreak havoc or whatever the heck i don't know why well it was an accident they were trying to like they're trying to supplement the air to make life better and most of the population died because they just got too lazy to breathe that's right and the other ones that survived turned into the okay somehow i forgot about that but yeah i thought i mean it's interesting like i i didn't need it i thought it was kind of a a a, i don't know just another interesting tidbit that they threw out there which obviously he had in mind and we were going to find that out at some point in time so but yeah for me it wasn't something that like that i needed to know about at the end of that the 14 episodes of the show I, there were so many other questions that i needed answered besides the backstory of the reavers yes good point i thought it was interesting because it ran parallel to river storyline because like they're dripping the stuff that they did to river and like you know that the alliance is bad and you know that they do bad things and you know that they're messing with people and then you find out in this film that they they were trying to make things better for the human race but not everything works out well when you mess with the natural order of life and so it's like you know the alliance is bad and they create bad things 
not always intentional. I thought it was interesting, and it certainly served as a way to get the band back together and mm-hmm. on one more like crazy suicide mission. It was great seeing with the, you know, Serenity coming through the cloud, and then all of a sudden the Reaver ships coming through. It was a great moment in the movie, but I just love the operative. Somebody shoot! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> anyone, just bloody shoot those Reavers! But, yeah. Like, what's his name in Star Trek? Fire everything! Yes, that's true. <laughs> Nero. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. What I thought would have been impactful, knowing that this was a goodbye for the crew, is like, I thought that he should have showed how everyone died, like how long they lived, like some montage at the end saying this is what happened to each of the crew members. Because like you get closure on a handful of them, unfortunately, but like some uh, some wrap up on what happens with Mal, what happens with the rest of the survivors of this crew. Like it would have just been nice to know like how long they live and like no, you want to leave an air of mystery and like no. the universe is still open and things could happen but realistically this show is dead and gone these characters are never coming back in any like screen format again like i would have i would have appreciated knowing what happened to people it would have been nice to get a little more you know again but it's just... i mean the suicoden games give you a rundown of each of the 109 like stars of destiny 109 playable characters in this that game and when they roll credits like there's a, like a paragraph explaining what happened to every single one of them really yeah <laughs> it could be done with nine characters sure yeah it'd be nice but again it's just right now it's if you want more you have to read the novels and the comic books and that are out there that are being commissioned by Joss Whedon for the universe but um blah I say but the interesting tidbit, a uh, quick question for you guys, is Disney now technically owns the rights to Serenity and Firefly since they bought Fox. They've made news that they are technically thinking of trying to create a TV show based on the universe, but it would not be based on the characters. I don't know how you guys would feel about, you know. No, thanks. Disney has more money than God. They could put together a uh, they could hire a team of very talented writers they could hire an amazing cast they could probably do a pretty good show in the universe it's an interesting backdrop with the remnants of the brown coats trying to scrape out a living in the shadow of the uh alliance but like why would they do that when they have star wars and like the entire like universe of star wars like yeah i think what makes firefly such a great show is the characters yeah like the scenery is is definitely interesting like like I said, there's just a shock of cowboys in space and like going to these planets and you're the, the stark contrast between being on a spaceship one second and the next second dragging a covered wagon through yes. mud <laughs> with horses like that's just craziness right yeah so so that is interesting and, and the world itself is interesting but what makes this show so good is are the characters yeah. and, and it just I don't know. I, just, I have no desire to see anybody else in this world other than these nine characters that I've already grown to like over over these fourteen episodes and that's, movie. That's what I feel too. It just it would not be the same. It's just I'd be interested. I'd be interested in something that was related but different. It's something that uh, Joey will bring up when he talks about Star Wars. Like he wants to see more new stories from Star Wars, but not connected to Luke and Leia and like the original trilogy. Like he wants to see new stories in a setting that he enjoys, but new, fresh new characters and takes. And I'd be willing to give a new Disney show based on the Firefly universe a chance. 
our overall thoughts and takeaways i think i can summarize all of our thoughts here it's not as good as the show was but at least it's something it's some kind of ending it's some kind of closure and we all appreciated that because a lot of shows get canceled too soon and you don't get that closure so i'm glad that this movie exists yep good to more we are going to move on to tom awesome's top five it's time now for Tom Awesome's Top 5 Countdown. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. For our Top 5 today, I'm going to turn it over to Casey. We spend a lot of time in our personal lives bickering about the movies that I have seen, haven't seen, should see. So tonight, I'm giving you the floor, my friend. Your opportunity... What is uh, what is our top five for tonight? So for the top five today, I'm going to rank the top five movies that Tom should see. And I'm going to preface this by saying this was really pretty difficult for me to do because I am not your brain. I have no idea what you have and have not seen. So there's probably hundreds of other movies that should be on this list. But these are just some ones that like off the top of my head that I really enjoy that I threw up here, threw up, that I threw out there. <laughs> And uh, it turns out, like, you, you had a chance to look this over, and, and you haven't seen any of these five movies. So so these are five movies that I feel that uh, that you should see at some point in time. Uh, first on the list, number, number five, five, is uh, Hell or High Water. Uh, so this, I try to think when it came out, it's probably about five years ago, has Chris Pine, Jeff Bridges, Ben Foster, main backstory is two brothers in Texas are uh, their farm that they've, you know, grew up in, their family farm, been with them forever, uh, is about to be repossessed by the bank. So what they do is they rob these banks and then they pay the banks back with the money that they just robbed to prevent them from doing that. And then Jeff Bridges is um, a sheriff or whatever that is trying to track them down. And the interaction with the characters... Um, is, is fantastic. Jeff Bridges is fantastic as always. Chris Pine is A plus in this movie as well. Uh, it's probably, I said, I think it came out about five years ago. And in the five years, the, I'm saying this is probably the best movie I've seen in these in five years. And that's that's saying something because there's been a heck of a lot of really good movies that come out. And, and it I, really didn't get a lot of praise. I think it's pretty highly rated uh, if you're into Metacritic and what and Rotten Tomatoes and stuff. Um, but it's it's a shame that it didn't get uh, a lot of the notoriety that I feel like it deserves. And I think it's something that not only you, Tom, should watch, but everybody should see that movie because it's super duper good. And we've talked about it on the show before. I think it was uh, when we did the 80s video game movies because uh, Jeff Bridges was in Tron, right? Correct. Yeah, so I think we talked about it a little bit then. I'm not the biggest Western fan. Like, I have nothing against Westerns, but I'm never like going to sit down and say I should watch a western tonight. Like that's uh, that's the mood well, that I'm in. It's not a like, western. It's it's set in. Um, when was the like the first kind of big financial collapse of just our of our lifetime? So that was in 1920. No, not 1920s. <laughs> oh. It was no like I'm ty- like the last. It wasn't the depression, but it was the, our last recession. So when was our last recession? Oh Under, yeah. So it was in like the. 2000s. Yeah. Oh, interesting. My picture of this movie is no. completely <laughs> off base. Like, I'm picturing the Wild West. No, this is like, it's like, it's our most recent rece- recession. And when banks, uh, like with all the Sally Mae and that sort of thing, and like mm-hmm. banks were struggling and things like that. So 
So that's when this takes place is then, and this area of Texas was hit pretty hard by by that crisis. So, um, well, Phoenix, so yeah, you're that's a, when it takes place. You're a resident movie buff. Have you seen Hell or High Water? Is it on your radar? I haven't seen it actually, but it's something that um, I've been intrigued by because a lot of people have been talking about it. it's like one of the best films out there. Um, just in general as a film, a lot of people have a lot of high praise for it. So. In your heart of hearts, do you think we're going to watch this movie in the near term? Are we going to watch this movie to appease Casey and his list? Actually, I wouldn't mind watching it. I mean, we've watched a lot of films about the you know financial crisis, the housing crisis. Yeah, what was the one with Spock that we liked so much? Oh, was, was that the Big Spacey? Short? Yeah, no, not the Big Short. I can't remember the title of that one, but it's yeah. with Kevin Spacey, and you have. I think it was of, based on a Michael Lewis book as well. Jeremy Irons is in it. A lot of big people are in that one, but um, yeah, well, interesting. Well, maybe I'll appease you on that one. Number five, Hell or High Water. Uh, number four, another Jeff Bridges movie, uh, Tron Legacy. So. We talked about Tron a lot on our uh, yeah 80s, I hated it. 80s movie, and I, Tron is it's not a good movie. I'm that was, the first to admit that. We Tron. discussed Tron in December of 2021. Yeah, 22 was the 90s video game movie. So December of 2021, if you're interested in our thoughts on the terrible movie that is Tron. Yes, and it pains me to, like as I was doing research for this, <laughs> Tron has higher ratings than Tron Legacy. Really? Yes. It's like so a like, higher Metacritic rating? Because Metacritic yes. is a big load of bullcrap, exactly. like as we and, discussed and higher, last like, month. Rotten Tomatoes critic rating. The audience scores are, are pretty similar. So the audience score for Tron Legacy is, is still pretty good. Uh, the soundtrack alone for this movie, uh, if you like Daft Punk, <laughs> fantastic. No like opinion this. on Daft Punk. They're no. the guys with the masks, right? They are the guys with the masks, yes. But they did the entire soundtrack for this, and it's A+. plus. Like, I can put it on my car. Like, if you want on a long road trip somewhere... You put on the soundtrack to Tron Legacy and you just cruise. It's yeah, no, it's don't awesome. do that and uh, put on OIO and listen to <laughs> fifty nine episodes of Tom talking in your ear. I already listened to all those. I don't need to listen to you again or me for that matter. <laughs> but you can listen to Tron Legacy over and over and over again. The soundtrack, um, but the movie itself, um, I think, is really good. So it's. What was the hook of Tron again? Like, he has to go into a computer to seal the code that was stolen from him. Basically, the same premise as Free Guy, only 100 years earlier and 1,000 times worse. Yes. So, Tron Legacy is his son. So Also um, played by Jeff Bridges? No. So, his son, I forget the character, the actor's name. He's actually hasn't been in, Shia a, in, in a whole lot. <laughs> no. <laughs> hasn't been in a whole lot, but he's, he's really good in this movie. I just kicked the cat um, again. Drink. He's... Uh, in the next one, so they're actually making a third Tron movie, uh, Tron Ares. I don't know when it's coming out. It's been greenlit. Uh, but I know you didn't like Tron. Tron Legacy is definitely worth your watch. Uh, Jeff Bridges, again, he's, he's he doesn't make bad movies other than the original Tron. Uh, <laughs> Did you watch so, <laughs> Legacy before you watched the original Tron? Like, I just have a hard time seeing anyone that watched the original Tron moving on to Tron Legacy. Like, I saw it, I'm like, okay, I don't need to see anything else in this universe. A lot of people, for some reason, really like the original Tron. I did see the original Tron before I saw Tron Legacy, but it was when I was a kid. And like, Yeah, that's probably the difference. Like, if you saw it when it was new and, like, as a historical piece on the history of CG graphics, okay, interesting from that. But, like, God, if you're watching that film in 2021, <laughs> we, 22, 23. Yeah, we even talked about it on the show, so anybody who's listening to this, go back and listen to the other show. But... Like, 
graphics aside, like for the time being, like you're like, whoa, this is really cool. The story is terrible. <laughs> like <laughs> the way that it ended, you're just like, really? That's it? So anywho, but I'm telling you, Tron Legacy is, is worth worth a watch. Soundtrack is awesome. Acting is really good. Um, the story develops. Actually, there's actually a story to it this time, and you see where the universe of Tron is evolving and going to, which I think is is worth your time. Uh, Vinny, th- your thoughts on Tron Legacy? Are we gonna watch that film? That would be interesting, but that's a no, honey. <laughs> you should watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Number three. Everything, everywhere, all at once. See, I really want to see this one. Yes. Yeah, I do too. Bernsey is a huge fan of this film. It's it's fantastic. It's up for Best Picture this year. Um, it's the best multiverse movie I've ever seen. I don't understand what that means. So, like the multiverse, so the MCU right now, suck at MCU, um, is... Yeah, I'm that, aware of the, the whole thing, right? An infinite like, thing of universes where anything is possible, but like, how does this film like portray that? Is it following um, 1,000 of the main dude, or is it a lady? I don't know anything about this film other than... So Michelle Yeoh is the main character, and she is just fantastic, first of all, and her Jeez, kung fu is... Or if it, I don't know if it's kung fu that she does or not, but her martial arts yeah. are <laughs> just... I don't know. Like I, I don't Do know, I know how she does is? what she does. She's a uh, crouching tiger hand dragon, oh, okay. and she's uh, James Bond. She's um, in... Uh, and Discovery. Uh, Right? Legend of yes, the Five Discovery. Rings. She's, uh, oh, yeah, she it? was in that one, yeah, too. Shang-Chi. Yep, she, yep on um, wherever. Yeah, she's she's super-duper good. But, yeah, so the premise of this story, I don't it's actually it's super-duper hard to explain. Like, I'm never going to do it justice trying to explain it. But her and her daughter have these family issues. Uh, her husband, um, who is the kid from Goonies and... Uh, um, 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 I haven't seen Goonies in at least 30 years. He's, uh, God dang, I wish I would have looked it up. And, uh, why can't I think of Indiana Jones, the kid from Indiana Jones, the short um, stack, short yeah. stack. Yes. So that's her husband in this movie. And seen that hil- film. And it's hilarious because he sounds exactly like he does as a oh, kid. Really? Wow. So like seeing him as an adult playing a completely different character is just kind of mind boggling. But, um, so yeah, so there's like, this family dynamic between them, and I actually kind of forget how the multiverse comes into it. But she like, I don't know. Like I guess I can't, I can't do this movie justice trying to explain it to you. You just, you have to see it and just, and just see like the visuals. So they have family they, issues and they're doing some kung fu. Like, like you said, I can't. There's, there's just no way I could possibly explain how everything unfolds and what happens in it. All right, and this is how, great radio. This is, yeah, it well, sounds well, I confusing. I, I also don't want to spoil anything for you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Because it's, yeah, you, you can't go into it too much without without spoiling anything. So, which I really don't want to because of everything on this list, honestly, even over number one, which number one is just on there because <laughs> of our back and forth, mm-hmm. this is the one that you should probably see more than anything on this list. Well, number five, Hell or High Water. Number four, Tron Legacy. Number three, Everything Everywhere All at Once. This is Casey's top five list of movies that Tom should see. Number two, Mad Max Fury Road. Now, this one surprised me because I thought this movie got like panned. I thought people hated Mad Max Fury Road. No, Mad Max was up for, I think, I think it was up for Best Picture. Huh. Yeah. It's, yeah, I guess I don't pay attention to movies. It's one of the most fun I've ever had in a movie theater. And your setup down here 
will still do it justice, I think. Because from front to back in this movie... I don't know if that was a compliment or an insult. <laughs> no, it's... Okay, let me get into it. So, the the sound. So, the movie theater, like I think they purposely turned up the volume because it was just... So, it's nonstop action, first of all. And then, second of all, it's just nonstop noise, but in a good way. Like, it's explosions, it's music, it's at one point in time when they're chasing Furiosa through this the Fury Road, there's a guy that's strapped to the front of one of their war machines playing playing a guitar and it's just like just metal as you're chasing chasing down <laughs> Furiosa. And, Casey, I, don't know, it's I love you crazy. but you, your sons are all like teenagers are approaching the teenage years. Feeney and I live in a different world right now. They uh, almost five year old and almost two year old. Like our movie time is eight thirty when the kids are asleep. And like anything, if we played Mad Max Fury Road and it woke the children, that movie is dead to me for all time. Send the kids to Grandpa and Grandma's. Watch Mad Max Fury Road. Our date full nights- volume, lights off, nothing but the, like recreate a movie theater so you can get the full effect. And and watch this movie because it's like it's, it's honestly the whole time I was watching this there was just the biggest grin on my face because <laughs> I I had so much fun. This is the way movies were made for theaters. It just mm-hmm. it's it's so fun to go to a movie and watch something like that. Feeny, we uh we haven't had an overnight alone together since Hazel was born almost two years ago. Mm-hmm. Say next weekend we finally get Saturday night, just you and me for the entire <laughs> night. <laughs> Don't this what what would it take for us to spend our time watching Mad Max, Fury Road, Volume Cranked, Popcorn Popping Down in the basement well, here? You're gonna put this on me. Uh huh. Because I'm pretty sure I know what the answer is going to be. What do you think it's going to be? I'm pretty sure we'd fill the time with something else. Oh, I didn't mean that as a double entendre, but yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm sorry, okay. Uh, well, the problem is... Innuendo, maybe not a double entendre. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I do love my action films, and I do love those adrenaline films, and so I am kind of intrigued with this because how he's describing it, it's like, I wonder if I'd get the same feeling, because it's just like... So I'm kind of intrigued, but um, probably if we had a weekend, we would watch everything everywhere all at once, you know, but that would be at the top of the list. But no, I love my action films. I love the noise and how they can use it well in a film. Like my favorite scene, it's still my favorite scene is in the Batman where they introduce the car with the noise. It's just, if they do noise well, it's just, it can drive the film for you. So I am kind of intrigued. You know, listening to Casey talk about it, whether I interesting didn't go exactly where I was thinking. (laughs) So the other crazy thing about this movie is all of the stunts and everything are filmed live action. So there's no CG. So like again, in in these, like there is some CG. Don't get me wrong. It It was made for 3D, but there's a scene again when they're chasing her, and there's these guys that are on these giant like waving platforms that are going back and forth and they're like mm-hmm. plucking people off of cars. So it, it's all like actually done and it's just crazy to see. It's huh. like you're watching Cirque du Soleil in a movie, but I don't know. It's, it's like, it's seriously awesome. Yeah. It's just, I mean, um, I love my Asian films, you know, cause of the, 
the complexity that they can do with the scenes of you know without a lot of cg so it would be interesting to see this film to see yeah, yeah. and so everything everywhere all at once you could watch by putting the kids to bed you don't need that one <laughs> like, but when you watch mad max fury road even like you really should these are movies tom should see you have to watch it with volume cranks like it, it, it's Okay. Yeah, you have to do it justice. Well, what about like headphones? Being, maybe you know? just to get the music. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're gonna sit that. on the sofa next to each other with the headphones on. Yeah. Hey, don't want to wake the kiddos. <laughs> it's one way to do it, I guess. How how would you get your commentary then with me talking over the entire film, honey? You don't talk during this movie. You just sit back and you. Enjoy I talk it. during everything. You enjoy I talk the mayhem. More than you during films. No. I think I. The only thing that's gonna be coming out of your mouth is holy bleep. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> number five, Hell or High Water. Number four, Tron Legacy. Number three, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. Number two, Mad Max Fury Road. Honorable mentions before we reveal the number one movie Tom should see. I think I don't know. You've probably seen all of these. We didn't get the chance to talk about these. Have you seen the John Wick movies? Not a one. I've oh been my desperate. god. Yeah, I've been desperate to watch them. It's just we can do we can do a John Wick show next year. There's a yeah, John Wick game that I've been super interested in. Yeah, they're a... so good. Like yeah. I love Keanu. Keanu is he's not a great actor, but he's one of my favorite actors of all time. <laughs> um, it's so good. The action, the martial arts, yeah. everything in this, and it just blows my mind. Um, how much he put into the movie? You know, training with weapons and be like he's a legit three-gun competition shooter and you can tell in what's movies. a three-gun competition so you have targets um in front of you and you're using three guns so you have a pistol you have a shotgun and you have a semi-automatic rifle so you're going between the three at three different stations uh, and he actually participates in these contests to get ready for these movies. And you can tell in the movie because there's scenes where he's loading the shotgun and the speed that he does it at and the way that he loads it. Like most people, you know, turn it over, they plug it one shell at a time. He's got three shells and it's just zip, like all of them are in the gun, like <laughs> instantly. And the way he's like, reloading clips and like, it's just insane. And it's none of it is actors. It's all or uh, stuntman it's yeah. Keanu who's doing everything and I just I think that's amazing that, that he's able to do that sort of stuff so Bill S. Preston yeah exactly the three gun shooter the, wild. the evolution of, of Keanu Reeves <laughs> over the years yeah uh, it's just it's just wild but yeah it's they're they're fantastic uh, next Shawshank Redemption everybody's seen, seen that movie yeah. right I mean that's, but it's been but it's one 20 of my favorite years of all time it's I should be what like I don't know it's, it's just so well done uh, and then Inception, you did tell me you'd seen that one, but that's probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie, yes. um, even above Dark Knight and some of the other ones he did. But the, just visually, the first time you see that with all the different visual effects that he does and the sound editing and everything in that movie is, is And so I don't even well think it's the visual effects that are the hook in that film for me. It's, it's the ending moment, like the final thing, like the final question like that yeah. movie sticks with me because of that it's like yeah everything that you Didier watch like, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. like there are not many movies that are a mind f like that 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 and shutter island are like my two big thinker movies yeah shutter island's fantastic i love inception but i have an answer for your question for that 
Oh, because Michael Caine said he wouldn't do the film unless he knew the answer to that question. And Chris, no way. And Christopher Nolan said, if you're in the scene, it's real. That's how he answered it. Wow. If you're in the scene, it's real. And that's the answer he got. And no so, kidding. And Michael Caine did the film. Huh. So, but... I just ruined it for me because now I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. It's number one on the list of movies that Tom should see. Uh, I'm sure anybody that's listened to this in the past knows what's coming. It's Blade Runner, Tom. You should see Blade Runner. Yeah. Like, it's kind of amazing that you haven't seen it. Um, I don't like to be told what to do. <laughs> I, it's Well, now you're not going to see it just because I'm telling you to see it, which means you're never going to see any of these movies, I guess. Honestly, I've never been much of a movie guy. Like, my family, I am very much the outlier in my family. So, like, A, my parents weren't big movie people. So, like, we never had movies on, around, any of that. And, like, generally speaking, when I have free time, I prefer to spend it playing games as opposed to watching something, generally speaking. And, like, without a major sci-fi influence in my life until Finks and I got together when we were 30, or I was 30, you were a touch younger. Uh, there's a whole dearth of probably iconic sci-fi films that I hadn't seen. Like, I didn't see Return of the King until, like, last year or two years ago. Well, you had a good reason for why. Uh, I've never seen Titanic. Like, they, there, there's a lot of films that have just... <laughs> I refuse to watch Titanic. Refuse, like I, uh, I do it out of stubbornness because it's been such a huge film. It's like, oh, I haven't watched it yet. I've no, it won more Academy Awards than Braveheart, so I refuse to watch it. <laughs> I should have remembered the rocks. <laughs> I should have. Oh uh, yeah, so that's why, like, well, Phoenix, you, know, you, uh, you love Blade Runner, right? Like, it's your number one movie too, right? You're gonna put me on the spot. Oh yeah, I've been waiting years to play this card. Honey, can we go watch Blade Runner right now? Can we turn off the uh, microphones and go <laughs> turn on this film? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, Blade Runner. Don't be nice just because Casey's here. No, like, it's, no just, it's okay. It's... I, I know in in like in the pantheon of sci-fi movies, yeah. it's it's not even on my top list. But yeah. for what it was and like what it's influenced and um, just the whole the setting, the dystopian universe, and everything, like. It's something that I feel like if you're a fan of sci-fi, you need to see more than anything, just so you can know, like, mm-hmm. as like a piece of history or a major exactly. influential piece. Okay, yes. it is. Yeah, I like, I will. I can admit in my heart of hearts, like, it's, yeah. it's, you know, for its time, it was a good movie. Like going back to it, it's not all that, not as what it cracked up to be. But I feel like if you like sci-fi, if you if you like Harrison Ford as as an actor, like, it's something that <laughs> that you you should should see and it is a character story driven movie too i mean i believe you said it was slow it is very very slow slow. it's extremely slow slow. and it is hard to get through now i mean i don't think our girls would ever get through it unless they love slow films but you know it's just at the essence it is a character um complex story it questioning i guess you know i mean the big hook is the it ponders the question of yes. what it means to be human yeah. or man or yeah. so i mean it's in the element of like the original star trek episodes it's you know it has that story that really drives it but it is slow so yes feeling let me put you on the spot again because that's what this segment is all about <laughs> we'll watch one of these films everything else is pushed into lava for all time Watch everything everywhere all at once. once. Yeah, that's I'm, good. I'm, I'm sorry, that's a tough yeah, list. Of the five on this list, it, like 
I think so that's... Blade Runner I put at number one only because of our joke but it's, yeah. if I were to rearrange things everything everywhere all at once so if you're one. honest and true with our audience if you had an open heart and not just a heart full of like spite and malice I, my, I... my favorite movie on this is still Hell or High Water Everything Everywhere All at Once would be two, but I think you guys would enjoy that more than any other movie on this list, and I think it's something that is is really worth a watch, and it's relevant, like because it's yeah. up for Best Picture this year, so it's still still fresh. Um, yeah, so of the two, I'd say Everything Everywhere All at Once, Hell or High Water, then Mad Max Fury Road would go one, two, three in that in that, in that order. See, that's. What I would suggest in that order for me. So Yeah, well what a confusing structure you took for your list, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> that is Tom Awesome's top five Casey's top five movies that Tom should see. We close our show today by discussing Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game. Phoenix and I own three different board games based on Firefly. There's Firefly the game. Firefly Adventures and Legendary Encounters Firefly a deck building game. Uh, the deck building game, you play through three episodes of the show in each game. It released in 2016. It was designed by Ben Sichowski and Daniel Mandel. Uh, their design credits are all legendary encounter games. They tackled Aliens, Predator, X-Files, and James Bond, amongst others. It has a board game geek rating of 7.1, which is pretty solid. You play as one of the nine crew members. Each character has a unique talent and flaw that affect the game. Each game has five main characters regardless of the player count. So in a two-player game, you choose three other characters to be the main characters. The four crewmates that you don't choose to be don't choose as a main character become support characters and their decks are shuffled together to make the crew deck. Those are the cards that you purchase. Each turn you reveal a card from the episode deck. This could be an enemy to fight, a surprise attack on the ship, an objective or uh some other event with various effects next you take your action phase which is where you play cards confront enemies achieve objectives and purchase new cards for your deck then the bad guys shoot you clean up your deck and repeat each episode also has side jobs and a time limit characters can be knocked out you lose if everyone is knocked out at the same time if the serenity blows up or if you fail any mandatory objectives the first point that i want to bring up with this game and an important point for any licensed material. How well does it capture the source material? Casey, we'll start with you on how well it captures the source material. I think it did really, really well. I think all the characters and many of the side characters are really, really well represented. Um, and I guess I should set this up just a touch more. Every episode from the show, there are 14 episodes in Serenity. The pilot is broken into two. Each episode is represented by a different mini episode deck in this. So when you're playing through the three episodes, like you're playing through three specific mini decks crafted for each episode of the show in each game that you're playing. Yeah, so a lot of the different scenarios or different episodes that, that you watched are some of these missions that you're that you're going over and i think the deck that you watched or washed <laughs> watched it watched it's a funny <laughs> joke because there's a character named wash see what i did there yes um yeah i think it was it was interesting as we're playing to see how we as players playing the game would tackle some of the same interactions that the that the crew had during during the show and different objectives or 
you know, that sort of thing. So I think they did a pretty, pretty good job um, of capturing some of that in the game. I agree. I mean, they were able to um, encapsulate it in a few cards, and so you had a feeling of some of the little tidbits from each episode from the TV show were in that card. So it was kind of fun if knowing the show and watching the episodes, you could see all the little different pieces that they took to create that episode with the cards. Yeah, they pulled a lot of quotes and comments directly from the show and placed it on different places in the cards. A lot of the key events from the shows were represented, and I thought they did a really interesting job of tying it to that source material. Which characters did you play, and who are your favorites? Feeny, we start with you. I, I played Zoe when it was you and I, and then I played Zoe again when it was the three of us, um, Casey, you, and me. And yeah, Feeny and I had three play sessions. We played for two to three hours one night, and then we had Casey over to play for five hours, and then we had Casey and my brother over to play for another five hours. So we, we've we only experienced three, six, six of the episodes, but we've played like 15 hours of this game. Well, you guys played on to the next section without me that one night, but... Um, so yep, I played the first six probably, um, but I did so with you when it was just the two of us, so with Casey, and then we had to switch up our characters because we realized that we had too many fighters, and I played Simon. And then the following night, I think I played, I... I know I took on book, but I couldn't finish playing book because the little one woke up, but I trying to remember who I played at the start. Oh, Mal. And so it was interesting playing the different characters. You got to see their weaknesses and their strengths. And in ways you feel like Mal and Zoe would be more stronger characters, but at times I felt like they can hinder a little bit. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah, we uh, like we found out party composition is incredibly important. Uh, one of the things I found challenging with this game, which we'll dive into more later, is like there was no way to know which combination was the magic yeah. like combination, which was super frustrating. Casey, which characters did you play in your two main sessions of this game? I played as Jane and Wash. No way. Nobody could have guessed that. <laughs> <Shocker>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I played Wash first. Like We were trying to do these themed games. So like the first game, I was Wash and Feeny was Zoe. And then uh, I also messed around with Kaylee. I played as Simon. Um, Simon's the healer in this game, and like he has to be involved in every single game, or you're gonna lose. Yeah, he is important. Yes, <laughs> he does help. <laughs> what are the strengths of Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game? This was the first time that any of us had played a Legendary Encounters game. Uh, I love deck building games as just as a concept. Uh, Casey, where do you come in on deck builders, and what were the strengths of Legendary Encounters specifically? For this, I really like the team aspect and that you really, really had to work together. Um, when you think about the show, something that happened was something always went wrong. So, and that aspect of the, the show was captured really, really well in this game. Um, I, I don't know if that was necessarily intentional, but it definitely seemed to happen to us all the time where you were constantly trying to deal with, with something that happened where, the well, cards are just coming down out of the, uh, I forget what that top section of the board was called. There's a relentless stream of cards in the verse, and uh, like they're basically all bad. Like Everything that you confront is an enemy or something bad that happens that you have to adjust to. So it's a, it's a never-ending stream, for the most part, of bad things. Yeah, and it's, it's that for the show, there was always just one 
like really big thing. There was always one challenge. No matter what mission they were on, what they were trying to accomplish, something bad would happen, it seems. So I think that aspect of it um, for this game, if we're trying to capture the, the Firefly essence, was, was something that, that I really enjoyed. Um, you know, more often than not for us, we ended up getting murdered and that, uh, you know, that part did not happen in the show up until like, the very, very end in Serenity. But, but either way, um, I, I really like that aspect of the team aspect and having to, to work together to, to accomplish what, what we were trying to do. And Feeney, generally speaking, you enjoy co-op games. Like I like a wide range of experiences. Like when I'm playing with you, I also enjoy cooperative experiences. When I'm playing with Casey, I like to outsmart that big old frustrating brain of his. <laughs> did this scratch that co-op itch, itch for you? How much did you enjoy Legendary Encounters and what were the strengths of this game? I think I um, am more favor of this game than maybe you are. Yeah, I didn't like it. it. <laughs> but um, I know deck builder games are fun. I've played a few with you, but I do enjoy the cooperative because I just don't have that competitive streak or that smarts. I don't know what you would call it, but watching you guys play your uh, when you guys get together and play your board games or watching you with Joey, it's just the way you can piece cards together. It's just you have a fast brain that just can do step by step very fast and get it done. And I saw Casey doing that very quickly, too. Uh, just you guys can put it together where it's just a little bit slower for me. And so I enjoy the cooperative so that I have time to get help, but also, you know, have more time to work through cards where if it's like if it's against each other it's a little harder for me to be as sneaky as you can to build a deck as well as honey i'm sneaky (laughs) you're very sneaky you know what the best cards are you you're always like 10 steps ahead when you're building your deck and i know this one was a little tougher for you because you felt handicapped and i don't know i've really enjoyed this game because i i know it was very hard for us to beat it but that's what I love about a board game. If you can't beat it, then it makes you want to come back and try again and try again and try again. Where if you beat it right off, it's like, what's the point of playing a game? Yeah, and we had some wildly different experiences with this game. The first time you and I played through the first game, the first three episodes, like uh, the first time, the first time we botched the rules a little bit and things went bad, but then we reset, we restarted, and we just tore through it. It's like, oh, this game's freaking easy. And then Casey came over and we played the next night and we just got mauled and mauled and mauled again. It's like, oh, okay, well, this is a different experience. Hey, Casey, how about you stop being Jane so we get his cards back in the deck? (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of things that I thought were strengths of this game. Uh, There was a very strong tie to the source material. That's great. Buying cards is always fun. Like, it's great to see the palette of things available and decide what is the best choice for your deck. One unique thing to the legendary encounter system is there's a coordinate skill. Certain cards will have a coordinate ability, and that allows you, uh, at the end of your turn, you draw your hand for the next turn, so you know what your six cards are going to be. So say I just wrapped up my turn, I draw my six cards, and play moves on to Feeny, and now it's Feeny's turn. In addition to her six-card hand, she can also borrow a card from any other player that has coordinate on it. So if I have six cards and one of them has coordinate with two attack on it, Feeny can take that two attack to accomplish whatever she needs to attack or accomplish on her turn. Same thing if Casey has a coordinate card up. It's a really interesting mechanic that allows each player to be stronger than they are uh, individually. And I thought that was just probably the best mechanic introduced in this game it was probably my favorite new thing that i experienced in legendary encounters 
Yeah, I think it goes back to that that teamwork aspect, like working together yeah. as a team to accomplish what what you have to do. And I know that's the theme of most co-op games, but I just felt like this one kind of I don't know, tackled that a, a little bit a, better. even better than than some of the other co-op games that I've played in the past. Another way this game shined for me is the talent and flaw system. There are talent cards and there are flaw cards, and you'll have to draw them at different times during the game. Each character has special abilities printed on their card, their talent and their flaw. So when your talent card comes up, you can choose whether or not you want to do the good thing and essentially burn that talent card, put it back into the uh, uh, inventory so that it can be drawn again, or you can save it for later. The flaw cards work differently. It's something bad that happens, and you have to do that on your turn. When I was playing as Simon, the primary healer, his flaw is to take wounds from other characters, and if you take too many wounds, you're dead. So, like, lose the healer, bad yeah. things are going to happen in the game. And I had two bad turns in a row where I drew three flaws over two turns, and it wound up killing me before I could heal any of those wounds off. And it added a lot of complexity to the standard turns like you didn't always know what was happening it, in addition to the cards in your deck like you'd often draw a flaw from an event that happened and if you had the wrong characters and were drawing a lot of flaws it would seriously hinder your game and i don't i can't think of another game that has a talent or flaw system quite like this not really not ones that we've played no not. yeah there's nothing that i can think of off the top of my head that had anything similar to that either so there are some pretty unique wrinkles. Are there any other strengths that we uh, wanted to discuss with this game before I get onto my soapbox and talk about the things that could have been better? <laughs> um, I don't know. I can't really think. Well, Casey, what was the biggest drawback of Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game for you? I think it was really, really, really hard. I know you said the one time you guys played it, it seemed easy, but... I don't know. Maybe it was just the combination of characters that we had. Maybe I, it was some of it was dumb luck. I know it was like the one game that we played. None of us could purchase anything in the in the store because everything all the was, cards were really expensive. Super and we didn't... expensive, and yeah, when you're trying to cycle through your deck and, and buy cards or or attack things, it's hard to to do what you need to do when you can't buy upgrades for your deck. Um, so I know that was that was the main reason we lost that one, and then we just kept getting that stupid card. Um, there's a Serenity will take wounds, and when the Serenity gets shot at, you draw a card, and there's a specific card that says if you draw another one of these cards, you lose. And we had just impeccably bad luck the first night that you played, where we kept drawing that card when there was a ship that was like shooting at us every single turn. Yeah, so it was. I don't even like four games in a row that we played it that that card came up and the problem with that is usually like even smaller ships are, are tough to beat and the one ship that we had up was was extremely difficult and it came very early in the game when we hadn't been able to upgrade our decks yet and it was impossible for us to beat this big ship so it was when that came up it was game over for sure and that happened to us three times in a row yeah. three or four times in a row so that it was it was very frustrating so I, I said part of it might have been dumb luck but at the same time like when we did beat it it was still down to one turn like if i had it was close it was, enough for yeah. us that i was knocked out phoenix was knocked out and you were down to one hit point left like we escaped that narrowly yeah so this game is it's it's extremely hard and for for me um, I I get that it's nice to have a challenge, but when you 
I don't know. I played, like you said, we played this. I was probably here for six hours, six, seven hours of, of playtime. Two five-hour sessions. You are yeah. here for ten hours, and dude. And we beat it twice in, in that amount of time. So it was like that, that, that's that's saying something like that's it's a it's a very challenging and hard game. Well, let's pick out a couple of things there. You mentioned the party composition. We uh, we played one game where we were Mal, Zoe, and Jane, the three fighters from the show, and we just got steamrolled multiple times until we chose different characters. Uh, it's an interesting concept that there's nine main characters in the show, so you can be any of these nine players, but like different events different games are set up to hinder certain characters like we had one game where phoenix was playing as mal and there was an event that came up and if mal was in the party you drew a flaw and so we each drew a flaw and that event is repeated three times in 12 cards and so we had all these flaws piled up and suddenly simon's dead it's like oh simon's dead nobody can heal anymore soon everybody's dead it just it it felt like there were more ways to lose from party composition than there were ways to overcome it. And, like, we didn't know those magic combos. Is it a benefit that those unfortunate combos are there and you just learn it through experience? Or is it unfortunate that there isn't a way to overcome that through the cards that you're purchasing or the way that you're shaping your deck? I think it's more of a, a hindrance than anything. I mean, yes, it's great that you get to learn that you shouldn't play with Mal, the second scenario in this game, but it sucks the first time that you go through to, to learn that. And then afterwards, it kind of ruins the experience afterwards because you just know, like, okay, we can't play with Mal this turn. Yeah, know? and imagine so bringing like, a new player into that. Like, Joey comes over. He's like, oh, yeah, now we have five players. Great. Do not be Mal. Yeah. You will not be Mal. What's you your, are not ruining this Your favorite player or your favorite character from the show is Mal? Ha! Too bad. You can't be him because <laughs> if we're him, we're going to guaranteed lose this scenario. So, sorry, you can't be that person. Feeny, are you on the other side of the coin? With um, this one? A little bit. I mean, I feel like the more that you play the game, you could probably play Mel. It's just figuring it out. The more you know the cards and, you know, okay, we need Simon with Mal and just knowing what kind of support cards you need. It's just getting to know the cards, I think, will play uh, a key role into understanding how to play Mal's character in the game. Then let me come about and fire a broadside at you. Sure. <clears throat> you mentioned the card combos. There is another mechanic in this game where you can combo certain types of cards. There are five different classes of cards spread against the different characters. And if you play a card in a class, like the uh, Fist class, we never actually took the time to learn the names of these. We call them uh, very loosely what the icons reminded us of. But like if you played a card of the Fist class and then you had another card with a Fist class combo, if you played that second card, you'd get an extra bonus in addition to the attack or the recruit points i love combo mechanics and i like that's the thing that i get excited trying to string those together in this game it was incredibly incredibly difficult to actually pull those off in the last game uh where our daughter woke up and you had to leave feeny but it was me and casey and my brother still carrying on i actually pulled off like combos in three consecutive turns and that was the first time that happened and it was really exciting but it wasn't fun or interesting building to that point because i literally like i bought the first card that had the combo with this symbol and so i didn't even look at cards after that it's like what can i afford that has this symbol can i afford something that has this symbol no okay i'm just not gonna buy anything this turn okay ignore everything on the table i don't care what their abilities are i don't care what the attack is i don't care what the recruit is if it doesn't give me a chance of doing this combo uh, i don't want it because there is there are painfully limited ways to call your deck in this. That's a core tenet of deck building games. And Feeney, you like to poke at me because I am obsessed with calling my decks. Like I want to get the good cards in and I want to get the garbage flushed out. So I'm just drawing my good cards. 
in this game specifically, like Jane has some cards that'll allow you to flush cards, but it's a combo. And if you don't have those other, if you don't draw another green symbol card at the same time, you can't execute that combo. So it's like, oh, well, I bought this for this culling ability. Can't use it. I was never able to use that through two games. And it was super frustrating for me. Well, here is, how about this question? Where I come from the standpoint where I, calling a deck isn't really part of something I go to or gravitate towards. It's something that you may gravitate towards because you've played a lot of deck building games. I feel like maybe that's more of a hindrance to you to enjoy this game because you expect it from every single deck building game you play. That is true. I do have a lot of history with deck building yeah. games and there's a way that I expect them to play out. Like yeah. you, you buy good cards, you flush out the crap cards. Yeah. Like that's like the core tenet. And this Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game is different from that. For better or for worse, it is different from that. That's yeah. interesting. You well, I mean, yes, Firefly, we're talking about Firefly, but look at the Marvel Legendary game. That is still making new expansions, new scenarios, new everything. So the people love that legendary base game and keep adding to it and playing with these cards. So, you know, it's going to be the same mechanics as Firefly. It's, you know, it's going to be exactly the same so people are loving this type of deck building that doesn't allow you to call cards as easily and i wonder how many of those people love the marvel ip and are indifferent on deck builders or don't have experience with deck builders because like that could be comparing this to other similar games like this will never 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 come out over couriers like ever like i i want to try dominion which we've had for a long time but i've never actually gotten to the table like uh thunderstone i would never play legendary encounters over thunderstone either well, just watching you play sometimes i think you just you go too fast sometimes going i gotta call gotta call gotta call gotta call where sometimes i feel like sometimes you miss at something at some point but you yeah, end up we ran into that a lot with the cowboy bebop space yeah, serenade game yeah. like you you chastised me quite a bit for my obsession with calling because i think that game makes it pretty easy yeah. and i wound up with not enough like cards to effectively achieve things because i was so obsessively trying to flush out the crap like there's definitely a balancing act to it and i i acknowledge that i can be a little uh a little fixated on trying to flush out the garbage yeah but i mean for me personally, um, I don't have a lot of experience with a lot of deck building games. A few here and there, Ascension, Thunderstone, and certain. And Ascension's things. a phenomenal game. Yeah. I would also play Ascension, one hundred thousand million times before I took Legendary <laughs> Encounters out. Um, so I can understand your point, but I just I love that it's a great um, cooperative game that allows us to play, and but we still have to work together. But it's a deck building, so you're building your deck and buying the pieces and stuff. And Well, let's push this against other cooperative games. What are some of your favorite cooperative board games, and how does Legendary Encounters stack up against them? Well, I mean, Pandemic is a great cooperative game, but I think what you guys have been talking about, the unpredictability of the cards and buying cards, adds a different nuance to this cooperative. So I... I do right now enjoy legendary a little bit more because i would like to play it more and see how things play out i love pandemic but it's just and i i would say i dislike legendary encounters i don't hate it i don't hate it with a burning fiery passion by any means but i didn't it doesn't super resonate with me but i want to see all of the episodes and i want to see all of the ties to the show like i do want to experience all that and just see all the clever things that they pull together um i guess 
another cooperative game that it's hard to put it up against is um, Thanos Rising. That one is a very clutch, very well put together game, and I think it's it doesn't hold up to that. But we should play that tomorrow. Yeah, we should play that tomorrow. <laughs> and I really, really want to get the Avatar Last Airbender skin version of that game. I'm just really excited about that. But going off track, but I am really intrigued with this game, and I would like to play more of it. And it would be nice to be able to get a copy of Aliens because it would be fascinating to see how that plays out with the I think, alien skin. You know, I think the mechanic that'll really work with that is uh, scanning the things that are coming. Yeah. In Legendary Encounters, all of the uh, things that tie to the episode are marching through the verse. Like there are five spots up above, and the cards move from right to left each turn. They move down one, and you can spend resources to flip them over and see what they are and to start dealing with them. I think the Aliens license especially we'll play with that because of the motion scanners. Sure. I thought that was really interesting. Casey, I know you're also a fan of cooperative experiences, especially when you're playing games with your family. Do you see any way that your family and your heart of hearts would ever get into a Legendary Encounters game? Is there a framework here that you think could be interesting for your family setting? No, not at all. Um, well, <laughs> my family likes to play games, but this game would be just way too complicated for them unless we... And that's fine. Like not every game lot, is yes. for every person. So like I, I, I'm trying to think of some of the other co-op games that we play. We play, um, what the heck is there's a monster one that just came out. God dang, I can't remember the name of it. But or not just came out. It's probably two years old now. But so anyway, there's there's a lot of other co-op games that that my family would would rather play than this. Um, one, they're not into Firefly. But to uh, yeah, just the difficulty of this would be the onboarding would be a, a nightmare for me to try to explain how to do this game for them. Um, but I want to go back to to you and your culling a little bit too. And I just wonder with this game, if the cost of some of the cards and the um, health of some of the enemy ships is maybe the issue in this game is that they're just maybe slightly too high because there is a card that Jane has that I think it's like seven or eight cost that will allow you to cull but how are you ever supposed to afford that if you can't cull some of the lower stuff out to get to that you know like it, it's you gotta use that coordinate ability yeah it's... your odds of getting that are, are very very low unless yeah unless you use that coordinate to do that um but it's i think if if you're not able to call if the cost came down on some things and it was just maybe just slightly tweaked to be a little bit easier um to kill some of these ships, like instead of that 10-point ship that could come out at any point in time in that early scenario when it's, it's very difficult, if it was maybe just knocked down to like an 8 so it didn't seem so insurmountable. Like, and I think that first scenario deck is 10 cards, so that is one out of the 10 cards is this big uh, alliance ship that is very, very difficult to take out. Yeah, so I just I wonder if maybe they, I don't know, it just seems like it's just the values of them are, are a little bit too high. And the inability to to call down to those is is it makes it more difficult to afford these high cards and kill these bigger ships when when they could come out at any time. You could get blocked and not be able to afford anything, and you can get blocked to not be able to kill these ships, and then you're essentially just toast. There's nothing you can do about it, which is pretty frustrating. Well, I guess also coming straight into the game when we first started playing, you guys come from the standpoint of, you know, 
get the best cards for myself where I think we learned as we go that you need to get the um, collaborate cards and that's the trick is learning that oh it's definitely all together all at once we need to talk together figure out who has this card to collaborate versus oh I just need the best cards in my hand this I moment. need the best card in my hand at this moment honey yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A couple other ways this game struggled, like I don't want to throw shade, but I would say that the art in this game is worse than our four-year-old could do. The artwork is really terrible. <laughs> it's pretty bad. <laughs> we we love these characters, and like there were times I honestly didn't know who the cards were depicting. Yeah. It was like, oh, well, it's dark hair. Is it like Inara dark, or is it a little lighter, like maybe uh, Kaylee? Like it. It was atrocious, and we knew it was going to be bad going into this, and it still surprised me. Yeah. No, I read the reviews from before we bought it, and people kept saying that out of the legendary games, they really love Firefly, but they hate the artwork. And so <laughs> it just, you know... Fair criticism. It yeah. was terrible. It's weird to me, because I'm assuming in order to make the game, you had to have the license to make this, right? So yeah. why couldn't they have just taken, like, stills from the show yeah. itself and put them on the cards. That's the thing. You know what I mean? Like, the... that would have been so much better to use the actual yeah. character instead of having to pay an artist. Or pay to... an extra $100 an hour to get somebody who isn't blind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. It, it's they were bad. I also thought the components were really cheap. Like, it's just a card game and a neoprene mat. But the cards, it is made by Upper Deck. And, like, it's a company that knows card stock. It's a company that knows how to make, like, a durable card. And, like, the cards felt very thin and cheap to me do you guys think i'm being unfair in that criticism i don't have a lot of experience with the cards you know i'm willing to bet bernsey would hate these cards with a burning fiery passion no they were like i was worried doing the typical shuffle which i know you're not supposed to do with anything that i would wreck these like pretty quickly so i had to go to the you know, I don't, I don't know what you call it, where you're just like throwing cards into your hand, basically to, to shuffle them up instead of doing the bridge. Yeah, know, I thought it was like, weird when you spread them all out on the table and <laughs> put them together, but I appreciate you. Well, they're, they were really hard to shuffle otherwise, yeah. and I kept dropping them all over the place. So yeah, there was definitely something off with them for sure. And I mean, this isn't going to be an issue for every person that plays the game, but uh, it created myriad issues when we were actually playing. Unboxing this game sucked so hard. It was brutal. So it's just cards and a neoprene mat. It doesn't sound like it would be that difficult, but like the way that they put these cards into it was either two or four plastic wrapped like sleeves of cards basically. So you pop the plastic wrap off and it was very difficult to know just where all the cards went. Like all of the uh each of the nine characters has 14 or so cards that are specific to their character but they were broken into multiple little sets spread across these four different sleeves and so like it's work to figure out all these okay get all the characters together okay then there are the 14 different or 15 different episode decks where the which are these small little mini decks and they have one little printed line that show you which episode they belong to so it was largely all rightish to get those together except we mentioned the ship strike cards earlier, which is like an all red card, which has a picture of Serenity and what's being blown off it at that moment. There are a handful of those that belong in the episode deck, but with one little line of print, like having not played the game before, I'm like, oh, here's a ship strike card. Put it in the ship strike deck. So we wound up drawing a specific one to a later mission while we were playing on our second playthrough. And just trying to get this game organized for the first playthrough was 
really frustratingly difficult. Yeah, it was fun to get that <laughs> booby trap. Really, really hard booby trap. Yeah. One up. <laughs> Our luck was awful. We're just gonna like that. That was part of part of this. Uh, um, not a bad experience, but the, the the difficulty was was a lot of bad luck. Like I understand they're trying to package this game as efficiently as possible to keep the price down to maximize their profits. Like I get that, but like there was no unboxing guide. It's just like, well, here's a crap load of cards. <laughs> I assume you know what to do with these, so have fun, kiddo. Yeah. <laughs> Super frustrating, and it led to unfortunate early playthroughs of the game for us. It's a learning curve, so. I blame you, Tom. Yeah, I, I know you do. Things got a little heated. Feeny sent me off to make drinks for us, and you almost got a cup of teriyaki sauce. <laughs> I was going to cut up a little cubes of tofu and drop them in as the ice cubes. <laughs> Here's your cool refreshment, my friend. Overall thoughts and takeaways on Legendary Encounters. Feeny, you're the most positive on this game. What is the lasting impression that you take from Encounters? I would like to play it again. I'd like to play it all the way through and just get a more feel for the game and the characters. So. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I want to see all the stuff that ties to the show. I I would, I wrote down I will probably never bring this to the table again. That was a touch dramatic. <laughs> I, I want to play this game again and I want to see all of the different episode stuff. Casey, where do you come in on Legendary Encounters? Uh, I thought it was fun in spite of its difficulty. Uh, there are just other deck builders that I would rather play than this in the future. Yeah, I'm with you. So now we've discussed the show Firefly. We've discussed the follow-up movie Serenity. We've discussed Legendary Encounters, a Firefly deck building game. A couple of follow-up questions for you guys before we wrap up. Where does Firefly rank in the pantheon of sci-fi, Casey? Uh, way, way, <laughs> way below Blade Runner. <laughs> All right, well, I'm done talking to Casey forever. <laughs> Feeny? Like, it's worse than Star Wars, right? Really? As an entire property? like <laughs> Okay, entire property. It's it's hard to take a small thing that was canceled and put it up against a mega Star Wars property. It's... Better than the prequel trilogy. <laughs> I, I have no hesitation in saying that. It's hard to take it and put it up against the property of Doctor Who that's been on for 60 years. It's... It's a quirky, fun space cowboy show. Yes, it's not up there with the big mega dudes, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, and Doctor Who, but... Well, put Firefly know. up against A New Hope. A New Hope was a small budget thing. It was a phenomenon. Like, is it in the same neighborhood as A New Hope? Well, this is the thing. Movies versus TV shows. It's kind of hard to put a TV show up against movies. I in my mind if you're going to put it up against sci-fi tv shows i mean it's probably not up there with the mandalorian if you're talking about star wars um because mandalorian has sort of that cowboy-esque type feel to the show and so and a lot of money and a lot of belief behind the uh creative direction of it yeah and i think that there's a lot more character development we need to catch up with the show but i mean as far as with Cowboy Bebop, it's below Cowboy Bebop for me. So. Well, what about like uh, Babylon 5 you like a lot? Star Trek Voyager. How about some other specific sci-fi properties that you enjoy? Um, it's probably on par with Voyager for me. Um, and it's probably... And Voyager is like your favorite Star Trek? Yeah, it's my favorite Star Trek. I know it's uncommon, but yeah, that's my favorite. Um, 
So fair to say, Firefly ranks pretty highly for you it amongst does. all of sci-fi properties. Mm-hmm. I said it's better than Star Trek, generally. <laughs> I said worse than Star Wars, better than Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> better than Discovery. I mean, I really enjoyed Discovery and Great Hook, and I like Michael Burns a lot, and I loved the antagonist of that show, but I'd say I'd rather see a full season of Firefly than rewatch the first season of Discovery, yeah? yeah good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Uh, I should have probably asked something about Joss Whedon. I don't know. I mean, it's so tricky to talk about him now, but it's, again, the man versus his art. His art is very creative. I mean, Angel, the last season... It's really funny. It's well done. You see his creativity in writing. Um, he did something with Justice League, but there's the Gal Gadot stuff with him, right? Uh, he, he Zack fixed Snyder the did. The, or did Zack Snyder drop off? Dropped off. He took over. So but, there we go. That was the big DC yeah, connection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Creative genius. Like I, I really enjoy the stuff that I've seen of his. Like it made me actually want to go back and watch Buffy. I mean. Star sacrilege. Buffy's okay. I kind of prefer Angel, but you know, that's just that's my opinion. But so, but my brother really loves Dollhouse. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Dollhouse, but heard of it? I've never seen it. My brother said that actually, the actor who plays Wash, he plays, he throws you for a loop in that show. He becomes the villain, and he does an incredible job in that. So, but um, interesting. Yeah, hard to picture him as a villain. Yeah. So. Well, next month, we're staying off planet when we break down Mars. We are watching the original Total Recall, which I've never seen. Surprise, surprise. We're reading Stranger in a Strange Land and playing Terraforming Mars. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Outside is Overrated. Please review us on your favorite podcast platform and support our show on Patreon at patreon.com slash OIO. For Phoenix at Phoenix Sidlogic OIO on Instagram. For Dr. C at Dr. Undersore Casey on Twitter. I'm Tom Sidlachik at Tom Sidlachik OIO. We'll talk to you next month. Stay inside, kids. gonna kill me to cut out that bit about the logan technique that joke <laughs> literally never gets old for me which is strange considering your entire i've never slept better dude premise, you know, your sole sponsor for the show is a chiropractor yet like your number one joke is making fun of chiropractors no it's making fun of you you dirty brown knuckler i don't ever use that technique tom never once ever. i told Vinny you did it to me it's fine i've never slept better <laughs>